This summer, Coors Light wants you to retire, even if it's only temporary. Take a break from your nine to five for nine holes of golf. Trade those spreadsheets for a bingo card. Or swap your office chair for a water aerobics floaty. This summer, welcome to temporary retirement. Coors Light, made to chill. Copyright 2023, Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. When I was growing up, we had chores. Do you have chores in your family? I know it's an old-fashioned concept, but we had a list of things that were our, you know, I had some things that were my responsibility. I I was charged with taking the trash cans out to the curb, for example. And uh, there were were some assignments after dinner as it pertained to uh, dinner dishes and cleaning up your bedrooms. We had tasks. Well, I guess today I want to start the show by asking whether or not fans have a responsibility. Do you have a task? Do you have a task to keep your team accountable? Who does the task of accountability fall on? Is it fans who pay, buy tickets, invest their disposable income, their emotional capital? Is it star players? We've seen Damian Lillard in the last 30 or 60 days go forth and say, hey, I want out, I want to be traded. Is he not exerting some leverage on the Blazers franchise by asking for that trade and then the Blazers facilitating that trade. How about media members? I certainly think media members are tasked or charged with keeping teams honest, keeping front office executives honest. Seattle sports fans are mad at the Mariners, calling into the KJR radio show, blasting Jerry DePoto, blasting the Mariners. Hey, uh, this isn't going to be popular, but I'm going to speak the truth. The problem with the Mariners is the fans, and here's why. John Stanton dangles fireworks and bobbleheads in front of their faces and runs the team like it's the Oakland Athletics instead of one of the most profitable teams in Major League Baseball and tells you to your face they're going to challenge for a World Series and throws out a lineup that has Caballero, Sam Haggerty, Dylan Moore, and Mike Ford at the bottom of the order, a bunch of scrap heap guys, and tells you that we're challenging for a World Series. And yet we come out in droves, because we get to go with our families on a sunny day and watch fireworks and bobbleheads and draw over 3 million people a year, and this guy's sitting there with a cigar thinking we're the biggest idiots in the world. If we were in Philly or New York, this wouldn't even be acceptable. But we do it every year. And then we go, oh, we got to love these guys because they almost made it to the playoffs. Are you out of your mind? It's unacceptable. But yet 3 million people come in summer here. It's a joke. And until someone holds this guy accountable and tells Jerry DePoto to take his analytic nerd and get the hell out of Seattle and get a guy who can hit 40 bombs that plays first base or right field or left field, maybe we'll make the playoffs. Thank you. So there's fan accountability. Love that. Great call. Uh, epic rant on Seattle sports on uh, Brock and Salk, Salk's show. But there's also media members that hold franchises accountable as well. Uh, entities, franchises. USC, for example, played a football game over the weekend. Defense stunk. Everybody said it. I think USD... USC's defense is a complete fraud. I mean, I I was told this week by one of our data people how much better they are. No. They're not. 
Um, so, I, I mean, that that USC is not winning the national championship. Uh, I mean, right, let's let's just get that established right now. I mean, for Caleb Williams to do what he's doing and 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 have to sit there at the end of the game uh, against a team that they are they are superior to on every on every level uh, and have to hold on for an onside kick is absurd. There's media accountability. There's also players that'll hold their franchise accountable. Cal Rowley speaking out, getting a lot of support in Seattle. You've seen Damian Lillard speak out. There are great examples of of players themselves that will hold the franchise accountable and put some pressure on the franchise to invest in the roster, to do the right things. I want your calls off the top of the show today. Who holds the ultimate responsibility when it comes to putting pressure, or holding teams accountable? Is it fans who should be voting at the stadium, at the arena? Hell, Blazer fans, you're probably guilty of this as well. You heard the rant from the Seattle Mariners fan about fans that just keep showing up even though the product on the court is crappy or on the field is crappy because there's fireworks going on. Uh, How about Blazer fans who show up and support the team despite the fact that ownership hasn't really put a plan together? Blazers now projected at uh, an over-under win total of about 29 wins this season. I'll take the over with a gun to my head, but I wouldn't feel great about it. But do you blame fans? Do you blame media? Is it media's job to hold the teams accountable? Media, uh, above all, uh, is it the players themselves? You tell me, 503-417-7575, where's that blend of accountability when it comes to your sports teams. Because I would argue that in the college setting, it's really interesting. In the college setting, you know, the programs themselves largely rely upon media rights dollars and conference affiliation. And people will say that moving forward in this new world of college football, conferences aren't going to matter as much. Nonsense. Go tell that to Oregon State and Washington State. If you don't have a conference, you you don't have media rights money. But also these schools know that there's a formula that if they are bowl eligible or can get to eight wins or nine wins or ten wins, they each have their own formula that the season ticket renewal rates will be at 92% or 95% or 98%. They know that. It's, it's a math problem for them. So they invest in football largely, invest in the coaching salaries of the head football coach. Hell, hell even the head football coach at Kentucky is making more than the head men's basketball coach. Uh, you know, wrap your head around that. Football driving the bus everywhere if it's driving it at Kentucky. But in the end, I'm I'm uh, left looking at college programs going, heck, they're, they're not all that different than the pro programs. You know, you don't have an owner, per se. You've got a president and a uh, an athletic director. You don't have a general manager. You've got a coach who's putting together the roster. And uh, you've got the transfer portal, not free agency. But I think there's a level of accountability that fans have in college athletics that maybe is greater and stronger than anything else. But when I look at the pro teams, I do think that the media narrative drives a lot of what we're seeing. Even last night as I was watching Monday Night Football, sort of how you could feel the stadium there in New York turning on Daniel Jones, and you could you could hear the broadcasters turning on Daniel Jones. And if you flipped over to the Manning cast, you could hear Eli and Peyton Manning flipping on Jones, and then social media, and suddenly there's a swell of pressure downward pressure on the organization 
to do something about the quarterback problem with the New York Giants, right? So I think that the media holds a uh, a bigger role maybe with pro sports teams along with star players. Because in the NBA, in the NFL, Major League Baseball, nothing drives winning and success like a star player. 503-417-7575. Where is that blend? You tell me. Uh, let's uh, let's go out to Sean, who's in Sandy. Sean, welcome to the program. I like what you're saying, John. And there's a definite blend. And uh, I think Blazer fans, I think they're they're too laid back and they don't stand up for what they need to uh, say. I think the the Blazers organization does pretty good at taking care of the arena. Uh, they put their money into the team pretty good. They've had a lot of failures. But look at the broadcast team, how they've gone on the cheap on that. It seems like the broadcast team is like a discount broadcast team. I don't like that. I mean, we go from Brian Wheeler uh, to Travis Demers. I mean, that, uh, that we, we really took a couple steps back there as far as the entertainment. This is about entertainment. Brian Wheeler, you can say what you want about him. He was entertaining. And people like to listen to him. And, uh, and look at the... Uh, the mayor of Rip City, how we started, you know. So we we're used to being having good broadcast teams. Have a great day. I want you. Yeah, appreciate you. Look, um, in the end, I think you're you are seeing a lot of broadcast entities with professional sports teams try to figure out, you know, are they serving the local community? You've got like the Utah Jazz investing heavily in trying to reach three million people in the Salt Lake City TV market to the point where. In, they uh, to the point where they have fans in Salt Lake City in the games, the Utah Jazz games in Salt Lake City that normally could only get to about a million fans. They said, hey, if we just go over the air, we can get to three million fans. Yeah, we'll, get, we'll take a little less money, but we'll get more exposure. And so the Utah Jazz making their games widely available. The Phoenix Suns making their games widely available. Blazers, I'm not quite sure what the Blazers are going to do. They, they keep talking about having this national brand as it pertains to their to their um their broadcasts but it feels more like you know they hired a new director of programming who is coming in and going let's change the logo let's change the fonts let's make it look a little more modern but that really doesn't like i don't think the typical viewer cares about that crap let's go to sean who's in vancouver sean what's on your mind hey john hope you and your family are well um so when it comes to accountability with the media i think you need you know, like, like in the mornings, Dan Patrick, he's disconnected. He's going to give you an unvarnished truth. He's going to, whether you want to hear it or not, it's the honest truth. And then you have the local guys who were, you know, I mean, you're very optimistic and you're often a homer, you know, and that's not a bad thing. You're you're the local guy. You're talking to a local audience. You're, go tell that to the go tell that to the Blazer or the Beaver or the Duck fan. Every time I go to the stadium, I know what you're saying, but every time I go to the damn stadium, I've got people telling me, why do you hate our team? Well, they hear the one negative comment you made and not the ten positive. It's, it's human nature to only hear and, and keep the, the negative. But, you know, you need both. The, do you need to be held accountable locally? Absolutely. And you did that with the Blazers for sure. They screwed up, and you called them out on it. You know, but it's a big screw-up. And they made big mistakes. You know, the whole Chauncey Billups thing is still hanging out there that people don't talk about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, In the beginning when Billups was hired, we talked a lot about that. And it made a lot of people uncomfortable. I'm still not sold that the guy can coach. I'm not sold that he, that he should have been the hire. 
in the first place. Stephen, you've been big on Damian Lillard. You've criticized Damian Lillard saying he should have gone public earlier. Is your vote that the players themselves are the most powerful uh, you know, force as it pertains to leverage and accountability? 100%. I do. Um, because I think ultimately the fans, the fans can say what they want, right? But if the players aren't saying it themselves – then I don't think the the front office listens to him. And I also think that if the if the players actually say it, like when Giannis came out and said it, all the fans get on his side. Had Dame come out and said, "Look, you need to get me more players, or I or I may have to get out of Portland," every fan's going to be on Damian Lillard's side. It's not going to turn the fan base against him. And at that point, then the front office says, "Okay, we can't lose this guy for nothing. We can't lose all the fan base. We got to go do something." So I think ultimately, yeah, it's the players that have the most power in all of this. But I agree with kind of what you're saying, what you know, what the college is saying. Everybody has a little bit of accountability that you need to have into the team. But I think the players themselves, because they're the ones that are actually on the court, they're around it every single day, they're around the other guys. When they call out each other and they said, look, we need to be better, that's directly saying my teammate isn't good enough. I need better players. Like, that is hard to say to someone in their face. So I do feel like the players have the most power and that's when the front office actually listens more is when the players make some type of comments. Cal Raleigh, Seattle Mariners, get eliminated from the postseason, makes this comment that I actually think he's telling the truth here. I think we've done a great job of growing some players here and within the farm system, but you know sometimes you, you have to go out and you have to buy, and that's just the name of the game. And um, you know we'll see what happens this offseason. Hopefully we can add some add some players and um, become a better team. You look over in the other locker room right there. They've They've added more than anybody else, and you saw where it got them this year. So um, there's more than one way to skin a cat, that's for sure. But, um, you know, going out and getting those big names, people who have done it, people who have been there, um, people who are leaders, people uh, who have shown time and time again that they can be successful in this league is, is definitely going to, you know, would, would help this clubhouse, would help this team, would maybe help those little things, uh, you know, that we need. Yeah, and he got criticized for saying that. Here's Scott Service uh, reacting to Cal Raleigh. Cal is a, uh, he has an opportunity to be a big time leader for us, not just on the field, but in the clubhouse as well. And, and part of being a leader is, you know, understanding where you're at, being able to control your emotions at the, those times. And it's happened to a few of our young players this year, you know, in a situation with George earlier. And I think those are growing pains, you understand. And, uh, but understand too that your words are powerful. Uh, you, you, you do have a voice, and we listen to our players. Uh, I know I always do. So, uh, again, understand the frustration. Um, you know, Cal was the first guy in the, this morning and in my office, and, you know, you talk through it uh, on where he's at. There's just, you know, sometimes there's a better way to go about those things, I guess. Sometimes there's a better way to go about th- those things. Basically, stay in your lane. But I would argue this, John, but there is a better way, yes. But this is the most effective way. Right, if Cal Raleigh wants to be in Seattle and he wants to compete for a World Series, the way he did it is the most effective way to improve the team. He can go talk to Jerry Depoto. He can talk to Scott Service and say, "Look, we need better players." But if you say it in the, into the media, into the public, everyone knows it. Like that's the most effective way to get it done. Yeah, and I think you also need to know that the last thing the Mariners want, because they're making money, they're drawing people to the ballpark. They have a formula, right? They're, you know, they're trying to make the playoffs. The Mariners know if they make the playoffs, 
It's kind of like Oregon State in the Bob DeCarolis, Mike Riley era. They knew if they were bowl eligible, they could get enough people to renew their season tickets. The Mariners know if they make the playoffs, they'll get a flood of season ticket uh, renewals. They'll, they'll be fine as it pertains to next season. So the whole objective is to spend the least amount of money and still make the playoffs. And they got caught this year, and they, they fall just short. And, you know, J.P. Crawford agreed with Cal Riley. Listen. Um, you know, I think Kyle had some great comments yesterday. Um, I know there was a big controversy about that earlier this morning, and, you know, I'm with him on that. Um, I think we need to go out there and make really make a move to help this team win. And however it means doing that, I mean, they just got to do it. And we just got to get better. Got to get better. I think uh, I think the Mariners or players are are trying to exert some leverage here. It's worth thinking about. I want you to take that off into the world as you watch sports this week and this weekend, and ask yourself, you know, who who is holding who accountable? Because if the entity doesn't have accountability, if it doesn't have players who are willing to say, "Hey, I'm not going to go to school there if you don't have good coaching or you don't have good facilities." Players will often, you know, we always say the market doesn't lie. Players will vote and say, hey, I want to go to a school that's got facilities. I want to go to a school that has great coaching. And you see talent sort of uh, gravitating to those places. Free agency, no different. Generally, it's large markets. It's teams that have a chance to win. Uh, It's the money. It's playing time. There's some other factors that go into professional sports and how players are recruited, of course. But... I think in the end, fans do have a voice here. If you're a college fan, you have a huge voice. You get a vote at Oregon State in Oregon and Washington State in Washington. You get you get an opportunity to say, "Hey, if the product's not good enough, uh, I'm not. I'm going to vote by not showing up." And I really do think Blazer fans have to do some soul searching here. And I know season ticket renewals already happen. They they do it in February, and it's by design so that you, you, know, you can't get into the doldrums of summer and go, "Oh." You know, I'm going to buy a boat instead of uh, buying season tickets. You know, they don't want you to do that. They want you to keep with that recurring season ticket package that just, you know, they can raise it 6% or 10% and and uh, just meander along. But this is going to be like a 30-win team, a 33-win team this season. And you're going to have to ask yourself as a fan, if you're showing up to see that, are you sending a message that is a dangerous or bad message to the organization? And I think it's a fact. I mean, I I just I think there's no greater way to vote than by saying I'm not going to show up. And I, I I always I had somebody early in my writing career tell me that. Like I had an old editor. It was uh, you know a player who was ruled ineligible by the NCAA. And uh, you know I said, hey, six players on the basketball team had uh, free you know whatever his name was uh, free so and so. Uh, on their T-shirts, and he said six. And he says, "Are you telling me that six or seven, eight didn't have it?" And I was like, "Yeah, that's true." Like we always talk about who's in the building. I think more importantly, who's not on board becomes big when it comes to accountability in these sports teams. Coming up, Christian Capel covers Washington football. He's gonna. Have, we're gonna talk to him about a variety of things, including next week's Oregon Washington clash in seattle it's a big football game it's bye week christian capel next there's nobody better covering university of washington football than our next guest christian capel 
Pacific Northwest kid who uh, whose uncle Jim Capel, you may have you may remember Jim Capel, ESPN.com, Seattle PI, baseball writer, really interesting writer. Like, I, like there are very, like, okay, when I go back and I think about the writers that I really remember, like there's just a few that you really remember and you read everything that they ever wrote. And Jim Capel was one of those guys. And he passed away this week, and he happens to be Christian's uncle. And if you haven't read the piece that I tweeted out today, it's such a tribute to his uncle, and it might be the best damn thing you'll read all week. Uh, And he did not paywall it on Montlake.com if you want to see his website. But Christian Capel joining us. Really nice job in paying a tribute to your uncle, Christian. Yeah, thanks, John. I appreciate it, and I I appreciate hearing the, the kind words about Jim and his career and I mean it's it's been pretty amazing um I just was talking to my aunt his wife Vicky briefly today and saying you know it's something to see so many people remember him exactly the way that we saw him you know and just that the joy that he had for for baseball for sports for people for traveling I mean he was just so curious and like you said he he was always going to write something different. You know, he could attend the same event or press conference or whatever as a hundred other people. And he was going to have something, he was going to have some idea, some weird angle, something funny that, that you never would have thought of. Um, and gosh, all the, all the events he covered around the world and, and the world series and the Olympics and all the participatory stuff, you know, he'd, he'd see stuff and just say, yeah, I'll try this. Sure. And I'll write about it. And, yeah, there was just um, there was just nobody like him, you know. Been been missing his writing for a while. Uh, of course, he, um, he he battled some illness in the last couple of years of his life, and um, it's uh, it's it's good to to spend these couple of days remembering. You did a hell of a job writing about him and capturing him and his work and really what he meant to you. And you you in your opening couple of paragraphs, you talk about dementia taking his mind and ALS taking his body and. And then you just spend like, you know, what felt like 7,000 words, uh, you know, that I never wanted to end. It was one of those stories, Christian, and you know you've read stuff like this where with every paragraph you see another paragraph coming and you're glad it's not ending. That's how I felt in reading what you wrote today. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, it's, I, was, I was talking to some people kind of while I was putting it together and talking to my aunt, too, just about like, I don't know what oh, – Right, like it's we all have to make those decisions when you've got more interesting stuff than you have room for in a story, and you know when it's somebody's life and and obviously so personal and everything, it's it's hard to leave anything out. I'm sure I'll be um, I'll be remembering things and kicking myself like ah I could have I could have got that one in there. I forgot about that one. No, he was so rich, and, and you wrote later in the piece about going to cover a game and realizing. How special that was that you and your uncle are covering the same game you're in the same locker room in the same press box you know and you're you're kind of looking down the way realizing that you know this you wouldn't be there if it weren't for his influence yeah no doubt um and he he always treated me you know like um like a colleague who had earned his respect you know and he didn't need he wasn't ever going to treat anybody like they needed to earn his respect, right? I mean, he just treated everybody the same. And even when I was starting out and young and probably making a bunch of mistakes and um, all, all that kind of stuff, you know, he was always so encouraging and 
um, just so inclusive and you know wanted wanted everybody to be in on everything and and wanted people to want to take people along with him to where he was going and tell people about how great all these things were that he was experiencing and yeah, I mean getting to the point where being in the same press box as him and kind of talking to the same people and doing the same job was was just normal and you know just might might happen on any given day um, probably didn't appreciate it as much as I should have in the moment but it was special I didn't know that he attended the University of Washington and you know the football team got pretty good in the last two seasons but I you know I gather from your writing that he wasn't all that tuned in to Washington football in the last couple seasons he wasn't no and not really football in general um, he, he kind of grew more and more turned off by football as he got older. I always said he loved the University of Washington more than he actually liked football. You know, he had mm. he was such a baseball guy and a people guy, and you know, he had a blast as a student at Washington, going to games and covering the team for the student newspaper. And um, you know, they finished number two in the country and won an Orange Bowl in, in 1984 when he was there. And I think he was there the year that the the wave was supposedly invented at Husky Stadium and so he was you know kind of this really interesting time to be at the University of Washington and um, I know he man I, I know everybody loves loves college and looks back fondly on their college experience I don't know anybody who loved college more than Jim loved college he talked about it all the time he wrote about it all the time he's you know some of his 5 10 15 I don't know best friends in the world he, he went to school with at UW, so um, he, he always remembered that fondly for sure. Christian Capel with us on Montlake.com is the website. He covers the University of Washington uh, athletics, football in particular. Uh, bye week this week, then Oregon next week. Is it too soon to start talking about this game? Oh, no way. I mean, that's what it's for, right? That's why uh, I, I assume, right, that the Pac-12 wanted to give both these teams a bye week ahead of this, this great rivalry game, allow them to be as healthy as possible, spend a couple weeks speculating. And, you know, it wasn't too difficult to look at both of their schedules before the season and, and get to 5-0 and on, on both sides uh, coming into that game. And, and that's, you know, the teams are taking care of business, and that's where they are. So um, it's I think it's awesome. I think it's fun. Um, this game I don't think has ever gotten enough attention nationally for how great of a rivalry it is and some of that is the fault of the respective teams mostly washington when you talk about the last you know 20 or so years it it hasn't you know was a very long stretch there where it wasn't competitive but um this is shaped out to be i think the first top 10 matchup between these teams ever so hey that's that's another new wrinkle and there's there's national relevance so it should be really fun what is this this matchup about in your eyes washington oregon Offense, defense. What's the key to what key to this matchup? Yeah, I think it's it's primarily Washington proving that it can be more physical in the trenches than it was the last year in Eugene. Um, I think Oregon had 590 yards in that game. Um, kind of ran the ball at will. Uh, we're really close to to icing it after a you know long methodical drive, just bashing it between the tackles and. You know, I don't think Washington can let it be that kind of game. I don't think I like Washington's chances in that type of game. Um, so I, I think it's just proving that some of the defensive improvements you've seen through the first five weeks are, are real and are uh, are going to show up against you know elite, high caliber opponents and um, you know limiting limiting Oregon to those big gashing runs that they enjoyed for for much of last year's game. Michael Penix Jr. 
more or less pressure on him this season? Yeah, I mean, more in some ways, but less in some others. I think last year, you know, there's not not as many national eyeballs on him. People have kind of forgotten about him a little bit because of the injuries, but I'm sure he felt some degree of pressure to, to prove that, you know, that, that wasn't him. He can stay healthy for a full year, and that when he's healthy for a full year, he's still that guy, right? That guy that people remember against Penn State and Ohio State and early on in his career and all those things. You know, I definitely a lot more attention on him this year, more hype, more buzz. I don't know that he's the type of guy who really sees that or feels that a lot. He's he's pretty um, pretty football-oriented, pretty goal-oriented. He, he uh, doesn't, doesn't rattle easily. He's a pretty calm customer that way. So um, there's I think there's more writing on him this year just because expectations were so much higher for the team and everybody knows what it means if something were to happen to him or if he didn't perform up to standard. So um, I think on paper there's there's more pressure on him this year just because of how good Washington believes it is, and, and that's a good thing, and it's the kind of pressure you want. But um, I, I just I don't know that he's the type to necessarily be affected by that either way, at least not yet. Give me an idea how different this Washington team is maybe than the team from last season that played at Autzen Stadium. Yeah, I do think they're better defensively. Um, they're healthier defensively, uh, at least I, I assume so, going into this bye week. You know, they're they're a little bit banged up in the secondary. Ace has been missing Ace Turner. They're starting safety, and um, Devon Banks, a backup corner, is out for the season. But other than that, you know, they're in a pretty good spot. They're definitely a lot better spot than they were at this point last year. They're, they're forcing more turnovers. Um, I, I think they've got a little better team speed and – there's more sound in coverage in the secondary than they were last year. So that's probably the biggest difference, but it's also still, you know, kind of like I said, a little bit of a question mark because they haven't faced an offense like Oregon's yet. And so that's that's going to be the big test. But, you know, I think they have the potential to be a little bit better offensively. And their numbers through their first four games at least were tailed off a little bit against Arizona, even though they were, they were still pretty efficient moving the ball. But um, maybe even just a little bit more – explosive and, and deeper offensively in terms of the weapons that they have at receiver. Christian Capel with us on Montlake.com. Uh, Injury-wise, is there an injury update? Is there a player that Washington's hoping to get back? How healthy are the Huskies right now? Yeah, that's a little that's a little TBD. Tuli Latuli Nasanoa, their senior defensive tackle, their best defensive lineman, um, Left the Arizona game with an injury. It sounds like he'll have a chance to play, but maybe not a sure thing. The bye week helps. Um, be surprised if Jalen McMillan doesn't play. They were, you know, fairly optimistic they'd have him back for Arizona, at least in terms of what they were saying publicly. And it sounds like he was pretty close. So I assume with the bye week, barring any setbacks, he'd be good to go. Um, the one guy I think people are really worried about that, that you need to keep an eye on is Romo Dunze. Um, he took a shot to look like the rib cage or somewhere around there, uh, recovering that last onside kick at Arizona. And Kalen DeBoer said on Monday that his condition was a little bit worse than he'd expected you know, post-game. You know, we talked to the media after the game. He kind of felt like, yeah, he's fine. Sounds like it's a little more significant than that. Um, DeBoer wasn't giving any indications that, you know, it's it's the, the worst thing ever, but I think he kind of stopped short of, of saying, oh, yeah, yeah, he's fine, it'll be fine. So there's at least some question about his status going forward. We'll, we'll have to keep an eye on that one.
When, Oregon was at its best against Colorado. Everybody saw it. When was Washington at its best? Gosh, I'd say the first half against Michigan State. I mean, they forced Michigan State three and out. They dominated up front. Um, they shut them out in the first half. They set the tone defensively. And then basically did whatever they want offensively. Michael Penix Jr. just threw the ball over the place, and Dylan Johnson ran all over the place. And, um, you know, I think Penix had 375 yards passing in the first half. And, you know, the, the, the starters didn't play a lot after that. But, you know, I just the, going on the road, tough environment, a team that you played last year that probably, you know, is, is thinking about revenge and, and wants to show that, that that's not the team that they really are. And they really just took it to them. From, from start to finish and ended that thing at halftime and um, hard to hard to see how they could put together a half better than that one is in your mind is Oregon does Oregon look better to you Christian I have a hard time telling right now because I'm looking at opponents you know how good is Texas Tech I don't know how good is Colorado we're finding out you know and I'm looking over at Boise State and Michigan State and going, okay, how good are they? I'm still trying to figure out if these teams are just good or if one of them or both of them is great. Do you have a sense? Yeah, I mean, I do think they're in similar situations that way where the the best team that either has faced is just not up to the level of several that they're going to see here down the stretch in the Pac-12. So I think it's a little bit TBD. I, I think Oregon's better defensively. I like what they have athletically on that side of the ball. Um, it seems like they're they're a good bit stingier. You know, Colorado's offense is is not nothing, right? They got a really good quarterback and some skill players, and they put 41 points on USC. So to shut them out for most of a game, um, that says something. So I, you know, I think I think both these these offenses at Oregon and Washington should expect to see a little bit better defense. Um, but hey, maybe the offenses are better too, and, and you'll see an even higher scoring game. Who knows? Christian Capel on Montlake.com. Great work on the tribute to your uncle. I will see you next week in Seattle at Husky Stadium for a big football game. Christian, thanks for joining us. All right. Thanks, John. I appreciate it. Great stuff there from Christian Capel. You know, you think about the business you're in. I don't know what business you're in, but whatever business you're in, think about the influences that led you there. And I think a lot about the movie Forrest Gump, and Christian even mentioned Forrest Gump in his piece about his uncle, and I laughed at that because there's a little bit of Forrest Gump's story in all of our stories, in that, you know, we just kind of find our way, and we're influenced by different things in the way that Forrest Gump was in that movie, and he ends up, you know, at Alabama returning kickoffs and meeting the president and, uh, you know, owning a shrimp boat, you know, and you just kind of go where your path takes you. Um, and I always I think about it a lot. And I, I think about it a lot because I know I was influenced by people. I think about it a lot because I know I have three daughters, and I kinda, I'm excited and eager to see where they end up in life, what path they take, what their influences will be. Uh, and I'm, I'm interested in that. And it was really cool to read his story about his uncle who passed away on Sunday. And the influence that he was on uh, Christian Cable ending up as a sports writer. Our big splash is coming up. Bruce Barnum later in the program. By the way, Bruce Barnum is going to tell us all about grizzly bears. He texted me after the show yesterday. He might be the foremost expert on grizzly bears. Leave it here. 
I took you behind the scenes, literally behind the scenes of the Utah football bench last Friday night at Racer Stadium as a uh, kid named Logan Fano tore his ACL. Uh, I'll talk about it with Anna when she pops into the studio later, but if you haven't had a chance to read it, you might check that out at johnconzano.com. Aaron Rodgers, he had an injury, right? He had the uh, ruptured Achilles tender tendon. He has a uh, grueling rehab ahead of him. And uh, he's talking about hyperbaric chambers and tourniquets and darkness retreats. No, he's not. And lots of rehab work. Uh, Aaron Rodgers attacking his rehab. Wants to return this season. I find that interesting. Uh, Jerry Jones speaking out. How about Jerry Jones? Jerry Jones says the road to the Super Bowl runs through San Francisco. I, I like that. I like that he's saying that. I think it's true, but Sunday, the Dallas Cowboys will figure out where they stack up against the 49ers. The road to the Super Bowl. Does the road to the Super Bowl in the NFC run through San Francisco, or does it run through Philadelphia? Is that disrespectful, Stephen, to the Philadelphia Eagles? I think it's a little disrespectful because uh, you know the Eagles haven't done anything wrong this year. They're undefeated, John, so I feel like uh, it's a little disrespectful to say, you know what, uh, Jalen Hurts, what you did last year means nothing. Uh, 49ers were better. How about in the AFC? The road to the Super Bowl runs through? I mean, it's got to be the Chiefs. Like, yeah. even though they haven't looked their best, I feel like they're always going to be there with Patrick Mahomes, right? They're they're opportunistic. They, in the minute they need to turn it on, they will. They runs through there. How about the road to the Pac-12 championship runs through? Seattle next week. I would agree. I, I was going to ask you that. Do you think uh, the winner of that game is going to the Pac-12 title game? I think the winner's getting in. I And I don't think that the loser is eliminated. Right. I think people keep saying it's an elimination game. I don't think it's an elimination game. Because I think a one-loss team is going to get to Vegas. And I think, you know, who knows if they'll both be undefeated. But I think at least one of the teams that plays in Vegas for the conference championship is going to have a loss. Is, is it an elimination game from the college football playoff, though? No. One loss conference champion gets in. Okay, you know one loss. If you're a Power Five conference champion with one loss, you're getting in. Especially with the, the reputation the Pac-12 yeah, has this year. Absolutely, the reputation. And, and look, I I think it's kind of silly too because the Pac-12, yeah, it won some games. It hasn't played the best teams in the other conferences, but it looks really good. It's got great quarterbacks, and and you know Washington beating Michigan State, Oregon beating Texas Tech. Does not make you the best conference in America, but you got some good wins, got some highly ranked teams, and then now they will validate. They'll do what the SEC and the Big Ten have always done. They will validate each other by somebody winning the conference championship, and then we'll find out in the playoff really were they really that good. And I'm eager to see if Washington is better because I thought Washington was playing the best football down the stretch last season. And at Autzen Stadium, I think if Bo Nix stays healthy, I think Oregon actually wins that game. But he did not stay healthy. It derailed Oregon's season. I'm really curious to see how much alacrity the Ducks show up with. Do they show up flying around, very focused, locked in like they were against Colorado at home last, what, two weeks, two weekends ago? And, or do they show up kind of um, distracted and maybe a little clunky like they did against Texas Tech? Do they show up, uh, you know, asleep like they were against Stanford in the first half? Hell, they were down six nothing, scored forty two unanswered against Stanford. 
So I'm I'm I kind of leaning towards Oregon showing up with its best effort because they've shown us when the opponent is there, when the stage is there, and it, the opponent's there and the stage is there. Twelve thirty kickoff, national TV audience, Huskies there, the opponent's there and the stage is there. That it's it lines up for them, and so I am eager to see kind of what what happens there. Uh, brings us to our big splash along those lines. Pat McAfee at it again. This is the one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. The Big Splash. Well, Pat McAfee continues to go after Washington State. You heard his comments on SportsCenter. He also hosts his final hour, one hour, just on his YouTube channel. And he circled back, as bullies often do, to look around the playground and see if there's anybody else that he could pick on. Because of what happened with Washington State, who, hey, Washington State, you attacked Kirk Herbstreit and Lee Corso after everything they've done for you. Uh, I don't know what happened in the past with ESPN shows. That ain't going to fly. Okay, after what I've heard about everything, that flag, okay, the amount of love that College Game Day has shown Washington State over decades at yeah, this point. Long time. And I've been told, my sources have told me, that, you know, some of those weeks, there's no Washington State representatives. Whoa. So you know who keeps the trend alive? ESPN and College Game Day are like, you know what? For the good of Washington huh. State, huh. let's go ahead and do this because this is a good thing. It's like, I go to West, I went to West Virginia. I wish there was a WVU flag flying in the most prominent show in college football every single week and given a full spotlight to it. And then Lee Corso cracks a joke that's real, by the way. Mm-hmm. He's not making a decision, but it's real. And then you start attacking Lee, and then attacking Herb Street. It's like, these people have done a lot for you, I think, Washington State. And I, I don't appreciate that that was right. Now, I am just talking in the middle of that. But also, like, bull that you attacked Kirk Herbstreit the way you guys did. As Kirk Herbstreit, I think, takes a lot of pride in what game day is. Been there for 28 years. Has a lot of say in that whole thing. And probably was a part of, yes, need to keep the Washington State flag in there. So for one time, they don't go, oh, Washington State. You guys start just getting petty and attacking. Like, f*** off. Okay? Like, that ain't that ain't how this goes. Around. Pat McAfee, uh, talk about petty. I said it yesterday, I'll say it again. I don't know when the punter turned into a bully, but Pat McAfee is a bully. And I I keep thinking, what is he going to do? Drive by a playground? Make fun of kids who have braces, who wear glasses? What You know, what's next for Pat McAfee? I mean, the Pac-12 conference has turned into the Pac-2, and he wants Washington State to be okay being the butt of a joke? From 88-year-old Lee Corso, who, by the way, Pat McAfee admits, didn't come up with that joke. You know, it wasn't his fault, he said. Some producer just put a line in front of Lee Corso, and they repeated it. And yuck, 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 yuck. It's not even funny. Look, Washington State is fighting for survival. I would think that Pat McAfee, seventh-round draft pick, who had to fight his way into the NFL, who had to uh, go take $100 and play in a poker tournament, to get to a kicking camp so he could get West Virginia to notice him would understand what it is to be scrappy and to fight for existence and relevance. He got a break. He needs to give us one now. Pat McAfee, you're out of line. Give me a break. What do you think he's after here, Stephen? I don't know. I can't tell if it's just like 
that's his thing. Like he he does like to cause some drama. He likes to stir it up a little bit. So I can't tell if he's just doing it for the clicks, for the bait. Like he's trying to bait people. There's no clicks there. It's Washington State. It's not that, like yeah. You know, so by I, their own joke, they're saying. Hey, nobody's watching. Nobody wants us. Why make fun of them then? Then I don't exactly. Then I don't really understand what he's going for, except for maybe if ESPN trying to put you know even push the Pac-12 down even further. Like they're trying to just push that narrative because Washington State hasn't done anything to anybody, right? Like that's been a tradition of College Game Day for so long. Is that flag? So why now are you just picking it out and going after them? Because of a flag. Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. And I really have no idea what he's doing. I think he's just trying to stir some things up, maybe get more people to watch, I guess. I don't know, though, John, because I'm but with you. But why Washington State? Go after Georgia. Go after Alabama. Like, because, you know, there, it's there's because bigger wa- audiences out there. Because Washington State's the easy easy team to poke and make fun of right now. And same with Oregon State, because they don't have a conference. So it's, it's the easy joke to make is, oh, these two teams are left out. Nobody uh, wants them. I just think, like, I'll, I'll say this. It's a much smaller stage than I'm on here doing a radio show that airs in the Pacific Northwest across the state on a number of affiliates. But you don't find me going after Linfield, and you don't find me going after Willamette, and you don't find me going after some high school team or some junior high team in the way that Pat McAfee is stooping down to go, hey, uh, Washington State's hurting. Let me take a shot at them. Like I'm just saying. On his stage, Alabama doesn't look like Alabama. Go after them. Uh, you know, on his stage, go after the Pac-12. Do something meaningful. But instead, you know, he's defending Lee Corso, Kirk Herbstreet, and acting like, here's the other thing, acting like game day is what props up college football. Guess what? There's no game day if college football doesn't exist. You're, you're, you know, you're a barnacle on the side of the barge. Give me a break. Just think, I think he's just trying to get attention, and damn it, he got it from us. Leave it here. Hey, I was one of those people that thought Pat McAfee was going to be a great addition to uh, ESPN's college football game day. He has so far proven to be a bully. Not enjoying that, but I'm in the opinion business. It's not uh, against my code just to have a bad opinion, but I think he's going after some low-hanging fruit and i'm can i'm confused why he's circling back after everybody else was kind of done with it it's kind of weird it suggests to me i don't i you know i don't want to play armchair psychologist but i am i think he's insecure about it i think he didn't like the noise i think he had to interject himself into the corso herb street fight as Jake Dickert wasn't talking about Pat McAfee. Uh, I'm curious to see what will happen this weekend. We'll see how that unfolds. How about Jonathan Smith? Jonathan Smith, did you see him, Stephen, on Friday night's game when he was, uh, I don't know how else to say this. He was milking the clock at the end of the game. I, I did see that. Uh, very interesting way to uh, describe how how to do it. But, yeah, I mean, he, he got his message through, right? He, for people who don't know, he grabbed his chest, his nipples. His milkers. And uh, pretended to be uh, milking himself on the sideline. And then after the game, he said uh, he was sorry about it. Not looking just only at our players on tape, looking at myself on tape, you know, in regards to how we signal plays at the uh, the end, communicate. 
got to got to do things better there. So for those I offended with that, I apologize. I won't be using that signal again. Give me a break. Is anybody offended? Like, really? Do you think people are offended by that? No, not really offended, no. I think fake offended, that's a possibility. I think people like to get fake offended. It's weird. <laughs> it's weird. If you're truly offended by Jonathan Smith grabbing his breasts, we all have them, and pretending to milk himself because he's trying to tell his quarterback, milk the clock. He's trying to literally, he's just uh, in a game of charades, more or less, at the end of the football game. And he's trying to tell him to milk the clock. If that offends you, come on. Really? Is that offensive? It's not. I got a, it's I got not. a seven-year-old and a nine-year-old at the game. I'm not a, I'm not worried about having to talk to them about that. I mean, you know? it's, it's not offensive, but at the same time, like, he couldn't think of anything else to, like, signal at. I mean, that's what he had to go know. with. I, I, he probably didn't think about, do we have a milk the clock signal? <laughs> He's like, how do I, how do I, how do I mime this into the game? But that's the thing. It's like that, you know, that symbol that he did, the signal he did. Nobody could mis misconstrue it, right? Like his, his yeah. players knew exactly what he wanted was, to do. Milk the clock. It was kind of, uh, it was different, you know. It, I, I, I think it was less offensive because he's not a heavy set guy, you know. <laughs> if he was a heavier set guy, maybe, you know, if if it's like Brady Hoke, Charlie Weiss. You know, is it is it worse if it, if it's one of those guys? Mark doing Mangino it? back in the Mark day. Mangino doing that. You know, I just I, I think it matters that you know he's trying to communicate with his team. Why do we have to? Why have to we? Why have to get offended of everything that happens on the sideline? Come on, unreal. By the way, he's got a plan for Aiden Childs, his backup quarterback. Uh, he did get him in the game. I predicted this last week that. You know, I said I wanted to see him in the game. He brought him in the game in the second quarter. He completed a 23-yard pass. That looked great. I said, don't blink. And then, sack, 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 Aiden Childs out of the game. But uh, Jonathan Smith said he's got a plan for Aiden Childs. Yeah, it's kind of all all inclusive. Um, it's yet to be determined uh, or this early in the week. Uh, I know that the more opportunities he gets, he's only going to get better. He's got a, a chance to be a really, really good player. We want to continue to develop that. Um but decisions on you know this weekend, red shirting to be determined. So have you had have you guys talked at all you and Aiden and his parents at all about about red because he's down to one one. Yep, game. yep. We uh, we've tried to well definitely talk with Aiden each week, kind of where it was at. Played in the early couple of games, a couple different reasons on the San Diego State Washington State, and felt like wanted to force the issue this last weekend. And like I say, we'll continue to talk this week. We'll see how this plan uh, comes together for for this weekend. I feel like I'm at one of these uh, pitches where Jonathan Smith is trying to sell me a timeshare. You know, it's, yep, it's kind of all all inclusive. Um, <laughs> you know. It's to be determined. <laughs> it's all, it's all we're, inclusive. we're including everything, though. You know, everything's involved. You Don't get a wristband. That. You know, you come onto the facility. You can go to the pool anytime you want. It's all you know? it's like, unlimited drinks. We got a you know bar over there. We got food over yeah. there. You know, it's all good. I get. Well, he, he's not ready. To, he's not ready to have that conversation. Is what he's saying. Like he's not sure. And I think, I think we're going to see Childs a little more this week. And I think they have to make a decision. Are, you know, are they burning his red shirt year or not? And part of that conversation has to be had with his parents and 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 the kid. I mean that that's naturally part of the conversation. But I'd like to see him a little bit more. They, you know, they're obviously uh, trying to 
win football games, and I think he, he helps give them a chance to, to win football games. They're going to Berkeley this weekend. Uh, we're going to have Justin Wilcox, the Cal coach, on Friday's show. He will be joining us Friday. I got the confirmation today. We'll be talking to Jonathan Smith on Wednesday. And I'll be asking him, uh, you know, do, what's the new sign for milking the, milking the clock? Let's play some Punch It Audio. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio, presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. Well, let's start with uh, the clip I talked about earlier. Jerry Jones talking about the 49ers. Dallas Cowboys owner says the road to the Super Bowl goes through SF. Punch it. They are right now uh, probably the uh, most likely team to uh, go in the Super Bowl. And, uh, but in order for them to get there, they've got to go by us, uh, hopefully two times, uh, if that's the way it falls in the playoffs. And we're in the playoffs, of course. But the bottom line is that uh, uh, you, you're playing the best. Uh, this is a, uh, a certainly uh, you don't need the game to tell you that you're playing the best. But you need the game to uh, show you uh, how you stack up against the best. All right. <laughs> All right, you got me. The shine's off the Dallas Cowboys. I'm not, I'm not scared of the Dallas Cowboys if I'm another NFL team. You know, they're, they're just good enough to matter, but not good enough to break through. They're in that muddled mess in the, you know, above the Mendoza line, but not really a contender. Well, and they proved it to your point, but it's like everyone's kind of buying into them, then they go and lose to the Cardinals in embarrassing fashion. Like, and so it's just like, yeah, you can't fully ever trust this Dallas Cowboys team. I, I think I would put them in the company of the Seattle Seahawks. Like, I, I'd like to see Seattle play Dallas in Seattle. I think that would be a good game. But the Dallas Cowboys are not ready for the Eagles or the 49ers on a big stage. Not happening. Speaking of the Seahawks, Devon Witherspoon hunting for a pick around the goal line. Turned it into a pick six. Punch. Second goal, Giants. They've done it on the legs of the quarterback, Jones. He's got three wide. He sends him in motion. Right foot ahead of his left, shotgun snap, drops back three, runs right throw, intercepted, it's picked up on the play with his foot, the five on the numbers upfield, the 20, the 30, breaks a tackle, 50, angles to the middle, the 30, the 20, far side 10, five, foot race, touchdown, touchdown, it's a Seattle pick six, Devin Witherspoon. And a return on the play of 97 yards. Backbreaking play in last night's game for the New York Football Giants as Daniel Jones inexplicably throws the ball to Devin Witherspoon, who, by the way, remember when the Seahawks picked him number five overall in the draft? We had a big discussion over whether or not, you know, it was a mistake. Could they have moved back? I mean, I thought about it as he was running 97 yards. I said, well, I got a good pick. <laughs> got the right guy. How about the uh, Seahawks getting 11 sacks 
on Daniel Jones. Is that uh, yeah. more Seattle or more New York? Who do you play? It's New York. Out? That offensive line for the New York Giants. I don't know anybody who could have gone into last night's game and thought that the Giants were <laughs> going to be competitive with their offensive line. If you had a bet on the New York Giants last night, I I'm sorry for you. After about the second series, you went, oh, it's going to be a long game. Uh, Jones was in trouble all night. He's jumping around in the pocket. He made a couple of gutsy plays, made a couple of really bad plays, including that interception. But the Giants look bad on offense. The Niners made them look anemic. The Seahawks made them look bad. They, they are not a good offensive team. Josh Pate talking about the college football playoff race. How wild is it going to be? Here's Pate. Punch it. There is a world where Michigan is not quite as dominant as they look. They just haven't been tested. That's a possibility. So if we find that out, then it's really game on. Because Bama's already lost. Clemson's lost a couple of times. LSU's lost a couple of times. Notre Dame's lost and barely got by Duke last night. They've shown vulnerability. FSU barely beat Boston College. Ohio State's bled a couple of times this year already, albeit in wins. So they're still undefeated. Uh, USC doesn't have championship caliber defense right now. Texas, Texas was right there with Wyoming in the fourth quarter of a game, and no one remembers that anymore, and I'm high on Texas. Washington beat Arizona's backup quarterback by seven last night. So what I'm trying to tell you is everyone's got warts right now. Oregon hasn't shown any, but most of you don't think Oregon can win a title. I do. You don't. So that's okay. We'll just shove them off to the side for a second. Look, I I, uh, I think it's going to be a wild scramble for the four spots because there's some new participants. It's not going to be the same old, same old. It feels like there are some new teams that could get in there. I'm not sure I agree with them on Oregon and Washington. I, I think they're both good. I think USC is kind of good, but not great. No way. No defense. I, I think there's still a shot Washington State could get to the Pac-12 championship game in, in Vegas. Oregon State could get there. One lost team could still get there. But I need to see this game, and I need to see these teams play USC and Utah, Washington State. Then, then we're going to know. Do but, you agree with yeah. his take that he said Oregon hasn't shown any warts this no. season? I, I saw either. warts. I saw warts. Dan Lanning didn't like what I wrote about his team after the Texas Tech game. You've had Dan Lanning on the yeah. program. He uh, has definitely not been happy with some of the warts that the team has shown sometimes. Yeah, I think that Oregon played sloppy, highly penalized. I don't think they got much out of the Portland State game, so I almost think that game wasn't worth very much to Oregon. Apologies to Portland State, but I don't think the Ducks got anything out of that game. Then they go to Texas Tech, and I don't think they played that well. And a lot of penalties. It was like 14 penalties in that game. In the Hawaii game, yeah, you know, sloppy again. Then they played really well against Colorado. And then they played about a half, a blistering half against Stanford. There's warts there. There's warts. Deion Sanders talking about Travis Hunter. Two-way starter. How soon can he get back? Here's Sanders talking about what Hunter's meant to the team. Punch it. Travis is doing well. He was out at practice today coaching his butt off. He's one of the best coaches we have. Uh, and uh, he, he's on, uh, shoot, Kamani, he's on his butt. 
he's on his butt day in and day out. And Travis is, I say, maybe a week or two. Two being last, let's say two or three. It would be my dream and desire for him to stay out until after the bye week. But I know Travis, he's going to want to, you know, because he's going to see Shallow most likely as a chance or possibility of prayer that you may see Slusher. You may see several, you know, starters of that secondary that's supposed to be in there. And I know he's going to want to join. But I, I would love him to be out until the bye. That gives him a like three extra weeks. Now, I think I think we know what's going to happen then if he would love him to be in that position. Colorado's got a chance to get a win this week. This is one of the three games remaining on their schedule that I think they can win. They're at Arizona State. Steven, are you ready to give a lean on that game? Colorado-Arizona State, do you have a feel yet? Spread is Colorado minus four and a half. Yeah, I do. Uh, I think I think this is a Colorado game. I, I, you know, Arizona State played okay against Cal last week, but I I think you're right. Colorado looks at this, and Coach Prime looks at this, and he says, you know what? We can get by Arizona State. We can get by Stanford, and then we need Travis Hunter back. Five and two in that situation. Then you got that gauntlet of Oregon St- or UCLA and Oregon State right after the bye week. So I think Dion looks at this and says, we can survive these next two games without Travis Hunter, and then we need him back after the bye week. So I think I think they go two and zero in this stretch. They're going to five and two before the bye week, John. Blazers president Dwayne Hankins says the team isn't for sale. What does he mean? Punch it. No, no changes on the ownership front. Uh, you know the team's not for sale. Continues to not be for sale. Jody has continued to make efforts to really do things that are in the best long-term interest of the franchise. So you saw that with the remix and getting that up and running. We're also doing a big renovation to the uh, practice facility with the kitchen this year. And Joe can talk a little bit about that when he's up here. And she's just been really invested in doing the long-term um, investment in the future. You know, we've traded a lot of emails back and forth this weekend with ownership, and there's just a lot of excitement about the moves that, that Joe has made. So they're they're excited. That's really cool that the trustee's excited about being the owner. But until the Blazers franchise gets into the hands of a real owner, it's not really going to have a chance, and we all know it. And I think Dwayne Hankins knows it. I think Joe Cronin knows it. Hell, I bet Jody Allen even knows it. Do you buy any of the fact that Jody is invested long term at all? No, she's got no, she's got no stake in the team. It's not hers. The only incentive that Jody Allen has is to continue to own the team. And I'm using air quotes there because she collects a management fee. She doesn't get anything when they sell the team. She doesn't get anything. She's not the owner, really. So she gets something if she keeps the team and keeps it 10 or 15 years. I don't know if she's getting 3% or 5%. I I talked to estate attorneys who say, hey, on these giant estates where, you know, you got billion-dollar assets and the Blazers are worth about $3 billion, sometimes you don't get, like, the full 3% or 5%. Sometimes you get a lower percentage. But I think clearly... She's collecting millions of dollars by not selling this team every year. Hankin said it there. He said, you know, one of the things that she's done to invest in the team is the Rip City remix. And I had heard that, too, is that the remix weren't supposed to be in Portland this season. It was going to be in 20, uh, 2024. It was going to be their actual first season. So that's like the one thing they always hang their hat on of showing that how, you know, quote, unquote, invested she is with the team is she brought the G League team a year early. Wow, woo. Exactly. And guess what? Not her money. <laughs> Not her money. It's the estate's money. 
she bought the team, she didn't, it didn't cost her a dime. Damian Lillard talking about feeling energized by being traded. What does he mean, punching? You know, it's definitely been uh, new. It's definitely been a transition. But the way that my family and I were embraced when we got here and, you know, to, to feel wanted and to feel desired and to feel something fresh and new, um, I feel, you know, I don't want to say rejuvenated because I feel like I come correct every year. But, um, you know, it's definitely been a boost in energy and, and focus and, you know, my excitement going into this season, especially being a part of a team, you know, with, um, you know, a two-time MVP, you know, one of the greatest players in our league and in this game's history. So uh, somebody I, I feel like I compliment very well. So just being in this situation also made it that much more exciting. And uh, it's different, but it's been a great couple of days so far. Great couple of days. I got to ask you on this one. How does it feel to hear him talking like that, Stephen? Um, I actually find it refreshing because he he's admitting that he's never had any good teammates. And so for that, like he's, it's a different situation for him. He even said they're, they're doing a photo shoot, and he's standing next to Brooke Lopez, Giannis, and Chris Middles, and he's like, man, I've never had to do a, do a picture like this because it's always by himself. He's never had the teammates. So I don't know, John. I, I feel good for it. I, I'm really excited to see what the Bucks do this season, and I want to hope that Dame is invested in the Bucks and he's not going to, you know, pull some shenanigans, which I don't think he will, but uh, I think there's a non-zero chance he does that. I'm excited for the Bucks this year, man. I'm not a fan in the way that you're a fan in that way. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, you're a fan. You, you're interested. I'm, I'm just interested to see how he does, what it looks like. Because in the end, it, to me, it's not about me wanting him to win a championship. It's more of a curiosity. Did the Bucks make a good deal or a bad deal here? Did the Blazers get the better of the trade? Did Phoenix get the better of the trade? All that stuff. Well, we've talked about it, too. I, the fit with Dame and Giannis, having Dame play off the ball, be the number two guy option on the team, that, I mean, that is so intriguing to me. And I, I think we're assuming it's going to work. But let's see it. Yeah. Yeah, let's see it. You want to see what he looks like as Robin. I wasn't impressed in the Olympics. I He struggled. Struggled to shoot. You look at his shooting percentage. I think he shot the lowest percentage among the guys that had minutes. And Do you blame you know, the injury was, for that, though? That, that was when the core injury was real bad. Maybe, maybe. But there was also, he was playing off the ball. It was, it was a little unfamiliar. And some of it was international basketball. But, you know, he shot only 38% from the field. And I'm curious to see how he'll thrive or not thrive as the number two option. All right. Anna's coming up. We got the uh, so much more to talk about, including uh, a check-in with Bruce Barnum on the Grizzly Bear front. If you were listening yesterday, we went down, I guess the best way to put it is a rabbit hole, talking about what you do if you encounter a bear. Well, when the show ended, I looked at my phone. I had text messages from Bruce Barnum, the Portland State football coach, who joins us every Tuesday, and he had a giant grizzly bear uh, video that he was sending me. So Bruce Barnum is the uh, resident bear expert. Do we run? Do we play dead? My inclination would have been to climb a tree until yesterday's show, and everybody said that is the worst thing you can do. Don't run and climb a tree because the bear is going to laugh at you and go, I can do that better than you can. Leave it here. You got the bald face. Anna's in the house. She is uh, the voice of reason on this show. And for that reason, 
I'm going to ask you about Jonathan Smith. Playing a game of charades on the sideline on Saturday night. He grabs his uh, nipples and pretends to milk himself. Basically telling his quarterback, we got to milk the clock. He has now apologized for said gesture. Not looking just only at our players on tape, looking at myself on tape, you know, in regards to how we signal plays at the uh, the end, communicate. Um, got to do things better there. So for those I offended with that, I apologize. I won't be using that signal again. Karen in Albany. <laughs> Who's mad at this? I don't know. Lighten up. Seriously. First of all, I don't know if that I that I want that mantle of voice of reason because I'm often unreasonable. But and second of all, he didn't actually grab his nipples, right? Like he it was he was just motioning, pretending like he was. He didn't actually. He actually had. He didn't actually have fingers on his own nipples. No, but what he should have done. To clarify. I asked Stephen, would it have mattered if he was heavy set? What? Would that because if he had like if he uh, if he had moves, <laughs> if he had moves, would it have been a bad worse look? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if he could grab fully grab one of his, you know. I just pecs. have to know. Like I I would love to know where was there really an outcry? The man's ear. And who who was the outcry from? You know, like, there, there's no outcry. There can't be. He's coming on tomorrow's show. No, I'm going to ask him. Be, be, well, he's clearly having to apologize in response to at least one person who is upset. I'm going to ask him, and then I'm going to ask Justin Wilcox, the Cal coach, if that offended him. Because the they're, they're playing this week, oh. and they know each other. They're friendly with each other. I think we'll get. I think I'll get a good answer out of Justin Wilcox. You're going to milk that story I think a I'm little mil- longer. Oh, 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 I see what you did. No, I mean, come on. Let's be real. Like, as someone who breastfed two children i don't i'm not offended by that and why would anybody be offended by that you showed me the video i laughed out loud and said that's the most most corvallis thing ever for the number of dairy farms that are around yeah you know what it was interesting i'm gonna ask him this too you know anybody's ever milked a cow knows that there is a rolling motion with your thumb and your forefinger okay okay welcome to the 4-h segment of said milking go on you're basically just working the udders okay Uh jonathan smith had good form yeah because everybody when when everybody pretends to milk a cow we're we're not doing it right no you guys are a bunch of amateurs yeah you know, You're gonna get I, kicked by the cow I, if you do it the way that normally we, yeah. the way we, we would pantomime. I, I've milked, I've milked a cow, okay. Okay, and so again, the motion that he he had demonstrated, good, he had good form. He had actual good form. He, his form was great. All right, so but here's cow. my, I'm going further with this. This is my job as a host to uh-huh. advance the ball. Yeah. So if it's a heavy set guy, is it more offensive? No, what? Could a woman get away with that same gesture if she were the head coach? Ooh, discuss. Mm. Would that have been a bigger uproar? I bet it would have. But not in the same way. You know, you're seeing women coach at the NFL? Yeah. I, I bet you if but there was a woman the on the sideline. But it would be the same way because it's seen what, like, I'm, I got I to gotta put myself in the shoes of somebody who was offended by this, who would say that it was like. My children were watching the game and uh-huh. they saw a grown man pretending to milk his boobs. Yeah. Like, all right. Yeah. Have a conversation with your kids. Wouldn't the only offensive situation be, like, if a woman coach was next to Jonathan Smith and she was looking at him with, like, a weird look? Like, that would be the only way I could see someone be offended. 
Even that. Or I just, how I about can't. if it was a flag football game? Okay. And it was a female quarterback and a male head coach. I'm trying to find no, an offensive no. scenario. Okay. I'm really trying. I don't. I just. I don't know. I gotta know. I gotta know who was offended and what prompted his need him. for an apology. Tomorrow in the five o'clock hour, be here. I will ask Jonathan Smith where he got his milking form, <laughs> and who the hell is offended by this? <laughs> he, he probably. He I want him on my, to be done with it though. No, no, no. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. He wouldn't have brought it back up in his news conference today. Uh, so here's the other thing. Now. I want him on my team if we're playing, like, Pictionary or Charades or something. He's pretty good. Based on that one motion? That's pretty good. I need more, uh, I need more proof. Of milk, I would have, I would have, <laughs> I would have gone to, like, Milk Carton, you know? Milk Carton? Like, if, if, if the word was, the word is milk, I would have gone, you like, pan of my milk I would have pretended to open the refrigerator, take out a carton, Pour it in a cereal bowl. It wouldn't have been Remind effective. Remind me not to D- pick you. DJ Uyunglele would have been looking for at me charades. like, "What are you doing, dude?" No, you get on. You get on one knee and pretend like you're actually milking the cow. <laughs> I get. How about I get someone else down in, on all fours <laughs> and pretend like I'm working on the udders? You know. Mm-hmm. I think I it. might be offended on that one. No, is that an offensive thing? I think it was a very <laughs> efficient hand motion that he actually offered. I think it was great. I think it was real. <laughs> And don't change. Don't apologize. He can't do right. it anymore. Okay. On that note, it's, it's the people who are offended by that are, I think, are looking to be offended. Or they're not sports fans. Lighten up. I don't know what it is. Lighten up. I don't know. All right. Speaking of not sports fans. Yeah. Came across this clip. This is from a few years ago when... Uh, this is right around the time the Minnesota Vikings were hosting the Super Bowl in, okay. in Minneapolis, okay? And Alex Trebek was still alive. The Vikings were hosting the Super yeah. Bowl in Minneapolis, yeah. okay? Yeah, Super Bowl 52, I think. Okay. Okay, and you know how on Jeopardy yeah. there'll be occasionally a category that you just know? Yeah. You know it cold. Right. Okay, audience members, you're going to get to play along here because... <laughs> You're going to, and of course the Jeopardy people don't know anything about it because it's a sports category. Uh-huh. The category is football. Okay. I would have run this category. I want to see how many answers you can get right, Anna. Me? Yeah. Oh, no. All right, here we go. Choice, do or don't name this play in which the quarterback runs the ball and can choose to pitch it to another back. What quarterback is a... What is a what is a option? Yes, I think. No. See what Trebek said. Here we go. As soon as it refreshes, <laughs> we will get it. This is a very pregnant pause. It is pregnant pause. Choice: Do or don't name this play in which the quarterback runs the ball and can choose to pitch it to another back. Silence. It's an option play. Ryan? You got it. You got it. Uh, football Shot. 400. I can football tell you guys are big gonna... football fans. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tom Landry perfected the shotgun formation with this team. Anna? Mm, Patriots. <laughs> Dallas Cowboys. Uh, you think we should go to commercial? <laughs> <laughs> Ryan? Take it on to 600. Okay. By signaling for one of these, a returner can reel in a kick without fear of getting tackled. What? Fair catch. Fair catch. Fair catch. Two clues uh-huh. left, Brian. 
800. These penalties well. are simultaneous violations by the offense and defense that cancel each other out. Flags. Offsetting penalties. They're called <laughs> offsetting penalties. Yellow Let's flags look at on the, the ground. Uh, $1,000 clue, just for the fun of it. <laughs> Jimmy? As Minneapolis's U.S. Bank Stadium prepares to host Super Bowl 52, I'm looking at the Ring of Honor with names from this defensive line that took the Vikings to four Super Bowls. Do you know what defensive the, line? The name of the Minnesota Vikings defensive line that Wait. went to four Super Bowls it back in the a, 70s. It had its own name? Yeah. The Th wall? No. The wall. Think about what color uniform the Vikings wear. Purple. Okay. I'm really proud of myself the for purple, that. The purple rain. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. That's pretty good the guess. Purple, the purple. Purple people eaters. Yes. Uh, no. Yes. Shut the door. It's the purple people eaters. That's yes, it is. Really? <laughs> it is. It's, that's the correct answer. Wow. There you go. See, you could have been on Jeopardy. You could have been somebody. Been Rain would have been better. But doesn't it? It really disappoints me when I get it. There's a category that comes up on Jeopardy that I know. Okay. And? And the. Smart people don't know it. Well, that doesn't surprise you. I mean, these people know about, like, you know, Prussian the Prussian War, but they probably don't know about football. Like, not everybody has that breadth of knowledge. Yeah, it just it goes to show me that, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Steven, you knew all those answers, didn't you? Uh, yeah. It goes to show that you don't know what you're talking about. That's what you just said. It goes to show, I don't know. That was, just, that was a good <laughs> yeah. one. Because um, they, they, you, you, know, you, you laugh at them for not knowing football, but yeah, they would laugh at you for not knowing, you know, I don't know, algebra or something. Yeah. Yeah, something like that. The only I, we Jeopardy. sound really smart right now, don't we? Algebra. <laughs> algebra. So outlandish. Do you guys do math on Jeopardy? Or? Oh, oh. Yeah. I don't think algebra has ever been a category. Ooh. Maybe on junior Jeopardy. Like, that's the only... I can't even play college Jeopardy. That's how sad it is. Like, I thought once I could play college Jeopardy and dominate. And no, I can't... I can only play if there's, like, a high school version of Jeopardy. The high school Maybe. One. Yeah, it's not you bad. Know? Well, it just... It goes to show this. Uh, these these people <laughs> think they're smart. Again? No, they're sm they think they're so smart. Yeah. They don't know anything about football. Come on, how smart can you be if you don't know, <laughs> if you don't know the an option play, a fair catch signal, if you don't know that Tom Landry coached the Dallas Cowboys, Anna? Yeah. Legendary. Offsetting penalties. Come on. You, you got to know this. Otherwise stuff. known as two yellow flags down. <laughs> <laughs> All right, leave it here. You got the bald-faced truth. I really don't want to annoy my mainstream audience with this, but I'm going to walk this line right now. Tell me if I uh, do a good job of walking this line. Uh, Taylor Swift, uh, the NFL, on their social media accounts over the weekend, used Taylor Swift's image as the profile picture on both Instagram and on Twitter. I showed it to you yesterday, Anna. Kind of an uproar. Some NFL fans that are diehard mainstream NFL fans just don't like this. They don't like the Swifties invading the NFL. Other people are saying, lighten up, have some fun with it. Where do you stand on this? Well, um, I get it. I think people are already over it. Like, we have a very limited attention span here in the America. I thought you meant in this studio. 
Well, here, especially in the studio. In the America. <laughs> and uh, it's like we were obsessed with this for about 48 hours, and now we're all sick of it already. Like, we, we totally maxed out on it. Should the NFL lay off that then? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you have fans uh, in the stadium booing when an ad for her pops up, uh, and, you know, people have just, they've moved on already. Like, there will Jump be... Jump the shark. There will be... Uh, costumes. People will dress as Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. Do you think? Uh, there's Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey skeletons uh, appearing around, uh, you know, Kansas City mm. and uh, throughout the Midwest. People are, you know, incorporating this thing into their Halloween decorations. But it's like as a country, we've decided we're we're already moving on. Do you know how like there's always a someone in your family? Usually, it's your parent. It's a parent yeah. or a grandparent who gets the joke late, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I feel like the NFL is like grandpa right now. Papa Goodell yeah. is a little slow to the joke yeah. and a little slow to it, and they're still sticking it up on the Instagram and the Twitter like when it's a week old. Yeah. It was funny for like, like you said, 48 hours, uh-huh. maybe. Yeah. Maybe 48 hours. Yeah, yeah, it's run there. What is the attention span, you think, of America? It's about 48 hours right now, at, at a max, if it's pretty good, if there's layers to it. And then we just decide wholeheartedly that we want to move on. But the thing that's interesting to me will be, uh, you know, depending on how the Chiefs do, like people are already blaming her for, you know, <laughs> oh. the struggles. Oh, yeah, that, I like this. Um, the Chiefs had against the Jets. And remember how, like, Jessica Simpson got blamed for Tony Romo? She's a distraction. Yeah, she's a distraction. So, you know, it would be interesting to see how heavily the tide turns now and uh, whether we just go, like, into full misogynist uh, Yeah, because it's it's a lot less distracting when the star players on the team are just hooking up with groupies. You know what I mean? Just well, yeah. keeping it simple. Nameless. Keeping it old school. Nameless groupies. You know? Just, just you know, one night stands. Just stick need, to the townies, guys. You don't need to <laughs> you don't need to go outside your fan base. You know? It, but when you start dating international pop stars, who by the way, I think I made this point several months ago and you and Steven were just at a loss. <laughs> Taylor Swift and Lionel Messi elevated themselves in the last year like nobody else in the celebrity world. Mm-hmm. They are one and one B. Yeah. Okay, one A, one B. And Travis Kelsey's, you know, jumping on that bandwagon a mm-hmm. little bit. So I'm not surprised that Taylor Swift popped up into the ecosystem of sports because she's everywhere. Well, and that's the thing. is like, Even for me, I'm generally a fan of pop culture and something like this interests me just because of the meteoric rise and then what happens after. But, you know, as my social timelines filled with shots of her and Blake Lively and yeah. Ryan Reynolds, and by the way... Didn't we hang out with Blake Lively? No. Who did we hang out with at that uh, event in California? What event? There was some event we went to. There was some Hollywood actress that was at it the It wasn't table. Blake Lively. I don't know who it was. Yeah, okay. it was Jenny McCarthy. No, no, what no. What are you talking about? You're, we're talking about something else. Okay. But, I mean, even for me, like, it was was a little much. Like, in her box was Hugh Jackman, Ryan Reynolds, Blake Lively, um, Brittany Mahomes, desperately trying to, you know, stay in the limelight. She's like, don't forget me. Right. And, uh, yeah, it's just, 
like we're over it. John, are you starting to think like me? Because we we vote we both voted love. We thought this was love. This is a PR stunt, hundred percent. I still think it's love. The NFL changed their Twitter bio, you know, with Taylor Swift in it. They post, you know, facts about the Chiefs are two and zero with Taylor Swift in attendance. Oh boy, I don't know. I'm. It's PR stunt. And the event we went to was about trafficking. It was about the. It was a anti-trafficking. Yeah. Thing in California, it was like an awards thing. Yeah. You know, and I think Blake Lively was at our table. No, was. Believe me, I would remember Come on. if Blake Lively were at our table. Yeah, it, was it was some other actress yeah. whose name I cannot recall. Blake Lively. She's not I'm going with it. A-list. Okay. <laughs> I'm going with it. Okay. Uh, all According right. to you, Blake Lively. All right, but Steven's saying the NFL is just... I get what the NFL's doing. They're going, hey, you're not a football fan, but you like Taylor Swift? Because everybody does. Come on in. That's not bad. Yeah, there was also a whole thing in the summer and the offseason during Taylor Swift's tour, obviously, so trying to capitalize on that, I guess, but they were going around on the NFL's official YouTube channel asking everyone what your favorite Taylor Swift song is. Mm. This, oh. this, this is, this digs deep. There's people that have gone on the internet and gone through the history of the internet, <laughs> and they are finding out that there's a lot of things tying there's the NFL and Taylor Swift's conspiracy <laughs> theories. They aren't there's dating. A, I would there's like to, entire Reddit threads. Yes. You know, I'd like, like to meet some of these people that have this kind of time. I don't. <laughs> You know what I mean? I can't even tie my shoes. Do you really you know? met Blake Lively? That's no, that's lucky. No, Stephen. Yeah. Who was in his mind? Who was, didn't you call? Did <laughs> I you, wish what was too. the Blake Lively story then? You were on the phone with her. What Somebody are you talking was, about? There was we some, have no Blake. We have no connection. No, no, no. To Blake Actually, Lively. there was. Get right, her on you the did. Show. You did a story about these scammer modeling agencies that use. Celebrity yeah. photos yes. to attract kids in malls. Hey, yeah. we discovered so and so. Look at all the pictures of the celebrities yeah. we discovered. Yeah. Come give us eighty nine dollars. We'll take your headshots. Right. And we do a little runway show. We're down at uh, Clackamas Town Center or whatever yeah. mall. Yeah. Is uh, scam open for the scam that day? Big scam. And wasn't Blake Lively part of that? And you ended up on the phone with her. Nope, wasn't her. It was some other actress whose name I cannot recall. I'm pretty sure it was Blake Lively. <laughs> Why do I know Blake Lively? Welcome to our world. Well, that's uh, that's what I got on yeah. that front. Okay, so who's <laughs> stall, next? Stall, stall. Who's next? But who's next? Uh, if if the NFL goes, all right, this Taylor Swift, let's wring everything we can out of it. It, it, well, it's kind of like, look at what happened with Deion Sanders. Like, we were all really into it, right? We all watched that game, the Colorado-Colorado State game. We all thought it was so great. And again, for 48 hours, we were all riveted. But then the following week, they got 10 million viewers for the Oregon game. It was the biggest audience of the season. Okay. And then this last week, they still had 7 million. Like, it's okay. still trending. Okay. This is not a 48-hour story. But don't you think that story's going to go away now that they don't play Oregon yeah. and USC? Yeah, Arizona State will be an interesting study, you know, and it's, especially if they lose to Arizona State. They're going through this run where they get Arizona State, Stanford, and I think uh, they get Arizona at some point. But, you know, they're going to – I I think it's going to be a struggle for Colorado to get bowl eligible. But they're trying to get to six. 
And we'll see what the news cycle is on well, that and, one. Well, and, you know, and rightly so, that story had a longer shelf life because of the nature of the football season. But I do feel like for a brief time, everybody was sort of curious about Dion, and no one was necessarily rooting against him. And then it's like the tide turned, and everyone was like, oh, he's so full of it. Look at all his brashness. He got humbled in the process, and then it got, like, really ugly. You know, like there's some really ugly comments out there about him. Yeah, I uh, I think I was surprised at how angry some of my friends were that Taylor Swift was part of the conversation. <laughs> they were they were angry, 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 angry. We talked about it one day on the show. I had a couple of friends who were listening who said, don't go into that area. Don't give them what they're trying to get. You know, oh. this cheapens your show. I would steer away from it. Wow. Are they right? Who are these noble friends? Are, no, of but yours? are they right? Because there right. is a segment of the audience that's going, yeah. "Hey, there's some sanctity to our sports talk." Yeah, you know, like okay. you take your cap off when you go into church. You know, <laughs> when you come into the sports radio world, take your Taylor Swift cap off. <laughs> you know, show a little respect. You take your shades and your hat off when you talk to the media. You know. Jeez. Do you We're think, just weaving this all together Do you think that's now? too much? I don't know. Yeah, I think we've talked to enough Taylor Swift right, already done. today. We gotta, I'm we'll done. stop. Were we you surprised? Right okay, here. But were you surprised? Like, sometimes when we bring things up on the show, yeah. I'm shocked at the jet fuel that gets behind it and how it just takes off. Uh-huh. Were you surprised yesterday when we started talking about the bears? Yeah. Because... It, it caught it it caught my attention yeah that this couple in Canada mm-hmm. got Canada killed by a grizzly bear yeah and their dog got killed right outrage and then I started thinking am I only seeing these more because my algorithm is messed up on uh, social media yeah that's and for it's sure feeding true. me yeah bear attacks yes. Because there's only a couple things now that I get yeah. on my TikTok, mm-hmm. especially. I get bear attacks, and I get killer whales hunting seals. I don't know why. You also get a lot of those videos where you're watching something else, and then all of a sudden yeah. a baseball comes flying straight at Gets you. Gets me every time. And you jump out of bed Gets me every or time. off the sofa. You, like, fall off the sofa <laughs> Gets every, me every time. time. And I, I, you'll show me those videos, and I'll be like, what's the big deal? Steven, I don't you know what she's talking about? I do. I saw one the other day, uh, maybe yesterday. It was They kicked a soccer ball into a into a glass door, and then it came right at me. It scared me. I went yeah, down. It, Every did you really jump? I did. Every I, time. I jumped back. Every not time, not like you know, not crazy jump, but I you know I, I clenched. This guy, <laughs> like, for this guy acts yeah. like it's really coming for his head. It's it, the most amazing it, if, thing. Yeah, I'm protecting my noggin. But it, if if you've played baseball, I played and softball. You've, I, you've played, nine years. I've played catcher. Okay, I know what that foul ball looks like when it's about to hit you in the mask. And so every single time. I jump. It's ridiculous. <laughs> no matter how many times. And I'll tell you this. I see videos now that have nothing to do with it, and it never happens, and I'm expecting it to happen. <laughs> how about that? Traumatized. B-F-F-T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth.
Bruce Barnum coming up. 524. Make an appointment. We're going to talk about Grizzly Bears and football. Portland State football coach, as uh, we do every week. We don't talk about Grizzly Bears, but he visits us. Anna's here with the 5 at 5. She has the 5 biggest, baddest stories in sports as she sees them. You ready to do this? Yeah. All right, let's do it. The 5 at 5. The 5 at 5. Number one story. Uh, Let's start with Deion Sanders talking about uh, Travis Hunter saying that he is not ready to return to action in week six as the Buffaloes face Arizona State. Uh, He has not played in either of the past two games for Colorado after he took a hard hit against Colorado State in week three. Travis is doing well. He was out at practice today coaching his butt off. He's one of the best coaches we have. Uh, And uh, he's on, uh, shoot, Kamani, he's on his butt. He's on his butt day in and day out. And Travis is, I say, maybe a week or two. Two being last, let's say two or three. It would be my dream and desire for him to stay out until after the bye week. But I know Travis, he's going to want to, you know, because he's going to see Shallow most likely as a chance or possibility of prayer that you may see Slusher. You may see several, you know, starters of that secondary that's supposed to be in there. And I know he's going to want to join, but I, I would love him to be out until the bye. That gives him a, like three extra weeks. Colorado's at Arizona State Saturday, 3.30 on the Pac-12 Networks. Following week, Friday game at home against Stanford on ESPN. Then a bye week. Then it's at UCLA, home against Oregon State, home against Arizona, at Washington State, and at Utah. To finish the season. They're looking for three more wins to get bowl eligible. Anna's number two story. All right. I'm going to stick with Colorado as number two because I think it's funny. Um, apparently, if you play for Deion Sanders, you might just get a call from Snoop Dogg out of the blue. Apparently, uh, Snoop Dogg called up Deion Sanders and said that he wanted to talk to Marion Miller, a freshman receiver for Colorado, who caught seven passes for 196 yards um, his play caught the attention from Snoop Dogg, who basically dialed up Coach Prime and said, hey, I, I uh, want to talk to that player and just wanted to talk to him. So, like, literally, Dion just handed the phone over to the player who whose jaw dropped and said, what? I'm getting a call from Snoop Dogg? And he just wanted to challenge him, just wanted to challenge him and talk about expectations and um, kind of a flex right there. Really, really a flex. Number three story. You're really interested in that. I can tell. Well, I was. You know, I don't have a lot no, to no, say no. about There's not much to I, say. I think. It, it, all right, I'll go back to it. I think it's interesting because I was listening to the show that leads into this show, the radio show that goes right before me, mm-hmm. as I was prepping. Okay. And I overheard them saying, all the celebrities are showing up at the Colorado games. Look at all the celebrities who are showing up. I have to be honest. I kind of wonder how many of those celebrities are being paid to show up. Mm. I think there's some uh, mutual, there might be some trade going on there. Maybe. With Snoop yep. saying, I'll call a player, let you flex, you do that. you're going to owe me one someday. I don't know. But, it's a great recruiting tool. Yeah, hey, if but, you come play for me, you might have Snoop Dogg dial you up. Do you really think Kevin Hart and Lil Wayne and The Rock showed up because 
they wanted to support Deion Sanders, or do you think they were paid by some agency to show up, an appearance fee? Yeah, I'm skeptical. But I'm also cynical. Number three. Um, James Harden chose not to show up for Media Day. No show. Uh, for the 76ers yesterday. And uh, apparently he is just going to make life difficult for them. I didn't realize that he actually forced his way out of Houston and Brooklyn. Like, I haven't followed this Harden story. Yeah, he's... But, like, this yeah. is apparently just what he does to become this, yeah, like... he just blows the bridge up. Intolerable distraction. And it, it made me think of, like, the Damian Lillard situation that we were facing here. That I guess, at the very least, we aren't starting training camp with this hanging over our heads in Blazer World. Here's what Harden said last month when he was asked by a television station in Houston. Channel 11 in Houston caught him. Uh, and he, They asked him, you know, is it, can you repair the fracture in Philadelphia? Do you have an open line of communication with, with the 76ers? And how much patience do you need to have to, to let this play out? I'm just, I'm, I've been patient all summer. So uh, for me, it's just uh, focus on what I can control. And that's, uh, you know, working out, staying in shape and, uh, getting ready for a good season. Too late to repair the relationship? Uh, I think so. Working on, he's working out, working at blowing up the relationship and getting ready for the season. He wants to go to the Clippers. And that's that's his list of trade teams to he wants to go to. Then maybe they'll trade him to Miami. <laughs> <laughs> Number four. Uh, Trent Dilfer showing some remorse after this uh, sideline tirade. Did you see the video of it? He I looked bad. I didn't see it. I it, saw the verbatim of it. It was pretty bad. It was pretty bad. He ripped into one of his assistant coaches during UAB's loss to Tulane. He walks over to the assistant, is lashing out at him verbally before becoming more animated after pulling down his headset, then follows the assistant onto the field toward its players and continues the lashing. So he doesn't actually say that he's sorry. He says it has nothing to do with the perception of what it is and commentary around it. I'm regretful about it. I'm a passionate guy. I'm a passionate person. Mm. And sometimes that passion comes out in ways that I'm not proud of. It was a loss of composure, though. It, it, you have to maintain poise as a head coach. It's okay to back your team and bark at an official. It's okay to get on one of your assistant coaches or your players. But there's a line that he crossed, uh, and I think Shannon Sharp captured it. I played with Trent for a year in, in, uh, in Baltimore, and we did win the Super Bowl together. And uh, we've stayed, we've remained in contact since then, so I consider him a friend. But you can't undress your coach like that. You can't undress a player like that. Now, in a meeting... If you want to have something to say, some choice words, and I think there's there, there's still a bridge across uh, the term crossing the Rubicon, a, a place that you can go too far, but don't do that publicly, Trent. I'm disappointed that you would do that publicly because you wouldn't want a coach to do that to you. And yeah. that's a man that you're talking to like that. Yeah. And you're, 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 the obscenities and, 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 and the vulgarity that you're using and, and for the world to see. That's where I stand. For the world to see that, not a good look. Number five. Five. 
Last one. Sorry. Uh, Malika Andrews uh, has uh, filed for and received a restraining order against a man that she has, says has been terrorizing her and other ESPN on-air talent, including Stephen A. Smith. Uh, she claims in court documents that Ahmed Abu Bakar, a 41-year-old New Jersey guy, um, is making her life and some colleagues' lives a living hell. She says he initially began messaging her on Twitter in September. And so he at first was just an overzealous fan, but it turned into threatening and harassing behavior. Got a hold of her unlisted phone number and called her numerous times over the summer. And then uh, showed up. Whoa. Uh, He was arrested in August for showing up at Molly Quirum's house in Connecticut unannounced. And then um, showed up at ESPN's work facility in Los Angeles. So she's now asking for that guy to stay at least 100 yards away from her and others. And her fiancé. That's scary. Her fiancé is ESPN reporter Dave McBenamin. How about that? Malika Andrews, University of Portland graduate. Go Pilots. She's done really well and, and has become a powerhouse host on that on that show and on mm-hmm. that station yeah but i didn't i you know i didn't think about this element of it the you know the public part especially for a woman who is on air of dealing with a harassing stalker like you know and this guy apparently going after Stephen a smith too but um stalker like situation somebody's showing up yeah you had a couple of weirdos didn't you oh when, yeah when you were on air lots of weirdos didn't you have a guy that people were showing up places sending you things well that's why we have a lot of security around our home <laughs> uh yeah i had people showing up writing me from jails and other correctional facilities and that's a reassuring thing well i mean you know when you're an investigative reporter and you're dealing with all kinds of people you just uh you collect some along the way in order to get a restraining order and i may be foggy on this you have to give the court a lot of personal information because you're actually restraining that person from coming to within so many feet of you or contacting you and you have to put your address your phone number whatnot in there so it is a big step for somebody like malika andrews to or stephen a smith to say i'm going on the record with this that she must really have been uh, fearful mm-hmm. of this guy yeah well, I hope he gets help. Sounds like he needs help. And well, and I hope she stays safe and other people stay safe. And that is the five at five. Uh, good job there. Uh, I want to play something for you. I've been uh, saving this. I've been holding on to this one for uh, for a little bit here. But uh, Peter King, the NFL writer, was talking on the Dan Patrick show about Shador Sanders, the Colorado quarterback. Now, remember when I had the interview with Shador Sanders? Yes. It was terrible. Steven and I were talking about this off-air the other day. I, it may have been me. It may have been that Shador was on interview 30 of Media Day. Mm-hmm. It may have been that he was getting the same question over and over. I don't know what it was, but the interview wasn't great. And I left that interview going, I don't know if this kid has it. I don't know if he's going to be a good leader. And I've done a 180 on Shadur. I watch him play, and I go, you know, he's got a lot of moxie. He's got some grit. He's got some ability. I don't know if he's going to be a good NFL player, but Peter King says he thinks he's going to be a good NFL quarterback. Shadur Sanders, Dan, is going to play in the NFL for a long time, and he's going to be good. 
I came away more impressed with Shadur Sanders because he does more of the things you're going to have to do. At least, look, Dan, I'm not a college football nut. I don't know. I watch one game. I watch (laughs) one game. But I do know that I saw a lot of evidence in this one game that Shadur Sanders could really be extremely good. He's He processes very, very well. He's got a great arm throwing it on the run. He's incredibly confident. He's got his father's confidence. Steven, do you agree that Shadur Sanders is going to play in the NFL for a long time? Uh, yeah, I think he will. I, I think he has – he's shown me a lot because I'm with you, John. Like you said, we talked about this. I will be honest. I was uh, high in Colorado. After the interview with Shadur, I thought, man, I think I might be looking bad on this bet here of uh, Colorado going over the win total. Small but... sample size, though, right? Very I mean, small a, sample a great size. great example of let's not make our mind up based <laughs> on an eight-minute interview with a kid who is doing interview 30 on media day. I was the last interview of the day. He was just, I, he may have just been over it. It probably Probably true in hindsight. I think that's what it is. And uh, a good lesson to not overreact to things like that. But, yeah, I think Shador, you know, He's he has shown good, um, you know, just calmness. I think because he knows the offensive line isn't very good, and he's gotten beaten up in a few different games. But he has bounced back every single time and has played well in certain situations, minus the Oregon game. You know, USC game they were down by a bunch. He was getting hit a lot. They came back and they won that game. Same with the Colorado State game, even though. Colorado State is a much worse team. He was getting beat up in that game, but yet he bounced back. That's going to happen in the NFL. He's going to make bad throws, going to get hit. But he had the confidence and he had the poise to come back and bounce back and just brush it off and make the play. So, yeah, I think Shador has a real legitimate chance to be a good NFL quarterback. I think it depends on the situation, though, right? Because I like that he's got Sean Lewis in, in Colorado's offense. I like that it's built for him. It's clearly built for him. So I think he needs to get to the right team that will do something similar. And I think, as we saw last night on Monday Night Football, if you've got an offensive line that can't protect you, uh, you know, you're not going to be good. And Daniel Jones, I don't know if he's going to make it or not, but based on that performance last night, I thought, you know, gosh, I don't know how much of that was his fault because, you know, he got sacked how many times? Eleven. Eleven well, times, yeah, it's ridiculous. The NFL records fourteen, but it's ridiculous. But don't you think with Shador, like he can make all the throws, and he's proven that. So I, you're right; he needs to be put in a good situation. But you just look on the surface; he has NFL skills. But did he? He didn't look okay. He didn't look like an NFL quarterback against Oregon. No, he didn't look good. But he didn't have time to throw. USC, he looked good in the second half, especially in the fourth quarter. USC's defense is bad. But but if he had a better offensive line at all, if he could have any time in the pocket, yeah. would he have looked better against Oregon? But I think what Peter King is saying is he does some of the things, meaning he can move around, he's mobile, he can throw in the run. He does some of the things that today's NFL offenses ask quarterbacks to do. I love the fact that he when he does run, he looks to pass off the run. He doesn't necessarily look to scramble to get a bunch of yards. He's looking to scramble to throw deep down the field, which is always something that I love. You know, that's a Russell Wilson type thing. That's a Patrick Mahomes type thing. You know, they scramble and they run to get yardage as a last resort. They're always looking down the field to make plays. I think Shador does that really well. I wonder about that comparison to Caleb Williams because he's sort of implying that Shador might be even better than Caleb Williams. I don't think in the so. NFL. Uh, like that, I'd, I would draw the line there. I think Michael. Pen- I think there's a gap between Michael Penix Jr. and Caleb Williams, and then everybody else. I even think there's a gap to Bo Nix after those two. I think Penix, if he stays healthy, and that's a big question, is the best quarterback. 
I think Caleb Williams is elite, right with Penix. And I would pick Caleb Williams in front of Penix just because of the health reasons. And then I think there's a gap from those two guys to whoever comes next. That's the question right now in the in the Pac-12. Who's the third best quarterback if if they're one and two? Who's number three? Is it Shador? Is it Bo Nix? Is it Cam Ward? Is it Cam Rising, who we haven't seen? You know, he's just standing on the sideline all year. Is you know, I, I think it's a different conversation than we were having before the season started. Don't you think that Cam Ward, if they are to go on the road to beat UCLA, he probably should be number three at this point? Like that yeah, guy has been. He looked so bad last year, but he's, he's shown look, he's, he's shown, shown so much improvement yeah. this year. I I just I think. In college football, the coordinator matters. And when Washington State brought Ben Arbuckle in, they got a coordinator that, for whatever reason, has clicked with Cam Ward. He's getting the best out of Cam Ward, and that's great. And we're getting to see a different quarterback in Ward. But, I, yeah, if, he w- if Cam Ward wins this game Saturday and it's 350 passing yards again and four touchdowns and he carves up UCLA, I think we're talking about Cam Ward, Bo Nix, Shador Sanders in that next group of quarterbacks. And it's interesting because Jaden Delora has fallen off for me. And DJ Uingalele has fallen off for me. And Shador has risen up. Like, his stock is higher. But right now, if I had to pick a number three quarterback in the Pac-12, I would probably pick, reluctantly, I would pick Bo Nix. Because I just think he's more reliable, stable, experienced. I've seen him make the throws. Then I pick Shador after Bo Nix. But my mind could be changed. This is a big game. This is going to be a big game for Bo Nix here in two weeks. Could I make the argument that Oregon and Bo Nix hasn't necessarily been tested too much this season? I think you could make that argument for most of the teams. As good as I want to say the Pac-12 is, like, show me, what's the best win? You know, I and I get it, like, USC is going to play Notre Dame here. In a couple weeks. It's going to be a big weekend. And Oregon and Washington are going to play. But I was looking at the non-conference schedule. Colorado beat TCU. Colorado beat Nebraska. Oregon beat Texas Tech. Um, you know, USC beat San Jose State and Nevada. Utah beat Florida and Baylor. But Florida and Baylor aren't what Florida and Baylor have been. Washington State probably has the best win over Wisconsin. At home. And, you know, maybe Washington over Michigan State. But beyond that, what, where's the best win for the Pac-12 in non-conference play? That's why everybody's saying the Pac-12 is great, Pac-12 is great. It's, it's cool. I like it. I'll go with it. There's ranked teams. I think the conference is deep and it's got great quarterbacks. But I'm still waiting for, like, come playoff time, can a Pac-12 champion win a playoff game? And will the Pac-12 get to the national title game for the first time since 2015? It, it would be really ironic to see that happen, but... You know, I think the conference is good, but I think you're right, Stephen. Like, Oregon played Portland State, Texas Tech, Hawaii, Colorado, and Stanford. You know, Texas Tech's the best win in there. And Washington played Boise State, Tulsa, Michigan State, Cal, and Arizona. It's not great. They're going to test each other in two Saturdays. Like, the Texas Texas Tech win is good, but they're also 2-3 and on the season. So... I mean, yeah, like, it's on the road. It was tough. It was at night. But they did lose to West Virginia, and they lost to Wyoming. Like, how good is that Texas Tech win? They may have to be at the bottom of the Big 12. We're very – we're fast to make judgments, right? And Utah beats Florida. Utah beats Baylor. Oregon beats Texas Tech. Was You know, Washington State beats Wisconsin. And, 
you know, Washington beats Michigan State. We declare the Pac-12 is you know the best conference in the country, or it's the deepest conference in the country, and then and then uh, those teams they beat are just kind of okay. <laughs> and I'm waiting and going, wait a minute, maybe there's not a great win yet. And it might be that these teams are great. It might be that Oregon and Washington are elite and both make the playoff. Like it, that could happen, but I still want to wait and see. But it's also not great that you know Oregon State be, beat last year's Pac-12 champion. That Utah isn't coming out this year. Utah's stronger. So, so beat up. I know, but like as for the conference brand, like it's great for Oregon State that they beat last year's champion. But for yeah. the conference brand, it's not great that Utah lost. Yeah, Utah. You know, I heard from people in Salt Lake City who said, "Hey, that's the Pac-12 cannibalizing itself." You got one loss in Utah. You got one loss in Oregon State. You have an undefeated Washington State, an undefeated Washington, an undefeated Oregon, undefeated USC. You know, those are your contenders. It's still the same five teams we're talking about. You can get to the conference championship game with one loss. Door's not closed yet, but there's still going to be some carnage ahead. If you if you had to make a bet, John, would you would you make the bet that one Pac-12 team goes undefeated throughout conference play? No. I don't think there's going to be an undefeated team. I'm with you. I think I think two one-loss teams will be in the conference championship game. I think the conference is going to get one team in the playoff. The winner in Vegas will go. And right now, I I originally at the beginning of the season said USC and Oregon State. I am not feeling good about either one of those picks. Um, I would flip my vote right now to Washington and Oregon, but let's see them play. I, we could get a rematch, week seven, and then a rematch in Vegas. Leave it here. Bruce Barnum is coming up. We've always got a uh, place on this radio show for Portland State. Bruce Barnum is the football coach at Portland State. Uh, they had a tough loss last week at Montana State. They're enjoying a bye week this week. Uh, is that true? Do you enjoy a bye week, or do you just uh, get through a bye week? Oh, no. Uh, we have goals for it, John. I wanna, our next one is, uh, thanks for having us, number one. Um, Northern Arizona's next. You know, we go down there, so educated on them, get a couple days ahead. That's the bonus of it. Uh, get healthy, stay healthy. And ever since I could afford one, it's um, winterize the boat week, which is depre- it's, it's depressing. But, you know, I'm thinking of not because I heard it's going to be nice um, at the end of the week. But I don't know. Winterize that boat's a bitch. It is. When you I mean, it's the, easy. It's just yeah. it's a rite of passage of the year. I don't like. Yeah. Do you? Is it because it signals the end of the boating fishing season for you? Well, time wise, yeah. You know, we get little time in June, maybe, and maybe May sneak out one for the spawn. You know, when the water changes, if you can find somebody to tell you the water temp, and then you know, July you can get some. This one's a slow year. I had some things going that. I had to take care of out of town, but you know, July is a one time. Early July, you try to hit it if if you if you want to fish, smallmouth. You know, we were talking on the show yesterday about brown bears, black bears. What do you do if you encounter a bear? What in the world did you send me? You got a video that you sent me of a bear. Well, uh, Americana. You know, we we were talking on. You know, we went to Bozeman uh, on a. Friday, we landed a little, you know, early. Uh, we had the day or a lot of the day, and I 
didn't give two. I didn't want. I didn't care about practicing in the stadium. We were staying out. You know, about 25 minutes away. Anyway, one of our staff guys talking, who's from Montana, he goes, "Hey, we can go see the Grizzly Bears." I'm like, "What?" And so we looked at. I looked at. We didn't tell anybody. Uh, another coach and I, John Ely, my travel guy. We looked at. It was right off the freeway. It, it's a. Uh, uh, there's not many out there. There's one in West Jellystone. I know there's a, there's a few in America, but it's a recovery center where, or a bear they put and they bring them in, you know, if there's something wrong, they can't be in the wild. Anyway, grizzly bears, that's what they have there. So I brought the guys there. We pulled over and the three buses were like, what the hell is Barnum got going now? I gathered them, said, welcome to Americana. Uh, they looked at a bear. Some guy, uh, I don't think some guys have seen one. You know, it, it was unique to watch some of them <laughs> interact because you're pretty close. You're pretty close at this place. Do you get scared? Do you get scared when you see him? I think he did. You know, he was sitting back because the wall. I didn't. I didn't trust the trench. They have like a trench thing. I, I swear to God, if he went yeah. running and jumped, I think he could have <laughs> been in the crowd chewing. You know. Yeah. But anyway, so I walked up and I asked, I think I drive my people crazy. They had a little ice cream stand there and the person said they can keep up scooping. So I said, hey, Portland State, if you want ice cream, it's on me. So half of them went over there, you know. But it was a stop. Something to break up today. But yeah, I mean, they had a big ass bear. Give me an idea. All right, so you and I are on a trail. You know, we're out in the woods. Right. We encounter a bear. You know, I turn to you and say, what do we do? What do we do? <laughs> you want honesty or you want, I mean, I want about honesty. to die? I mean, <laughs> well, I, I love you, man, but <laughs> I, uh, I have an issue with you in that situation. And you, you probably know what it is, yes? You just need to outrun me. Oh, yeah, you're probably faster than me. So I'm probably going to punch <laughs> you in the neck. As hard as I can and just start going, man. <laughs> wow. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, what is it? If it, if we're down to whose life, you're already faster than me, so you're not going to get too, too – you're going to – if we run. Have you, ever had, have you ever encountered a mountain lion or a bear or something that, you know, an experience like that where you're face-to-face -face with something in, in the wild? Uh, I had a cat. We had a place we used to go to it by Jellystone, you know. So we we saw a bear. Mostly the grizzlies were usually a long ways away, but they did trap one right next to our place. That was pretty unique to see them that close in those traps. They, you know, trap them in and throw them back in the park. But no, I was the guy always looking for the scat, you know. And if it was fresh, um, get the hell out of Dodge. Uh, you know, something's wrong. If you see a mud pile with berries and a little fur, it's time to go. Um, and then uh, just be careful. And we were, I have been close once. We were in a berry patch, um, and the berries were about up to your armpits, and there was a bear in there, and that was unique. I think he had enough to eat. You know, that was in the park up by Tower. But... Um, you know, that's it. I haven't been that close to to an actual bear. Moose are the ones you look out for up there. They're more dangerous than a grizzly bear. Well, they'll come at you. 
Yeah, I don't. And then a cub, you know, another warning sign. You see a cub, you know, you better don't pet it. You got to get get out of there as well. It's a bad sign. That's a bad sign if you see a cub because you know mama's not far away. Bruce Barnum right, with especially us. Especially if he wants to come up and play with you and, you know, chew on your shoelaces. You know you got you got an issue. Give me an idea, you know, how are you feeling about the season where you sit now, one-on-one in Big Sky play? Obviously, you get a bye week. Is it is it about getting healthy? Is it about just taking a, taking a pause right now and fixing some things you want to fix? What's the bye week about for you? Um, get healthy and get ahead on the next one, like I said. And honestly, uh, one at a time, we just played the best in our conference. They're ranked number two in the country. Um, and it was a good gauge for my guys. Up, up front, uh, John is why they beat us. Uh, they beat it. They were able to to cause havoc with four guys, and they were able to run a gaps uh, with a, a damn good old line. So, I think that was a good gauge for the young guys we're playing up there, you know. And now from here on out, I've got six games left. We have one. Excuse me, FCS. I think we have a chance every Saturday. I think our offense is dynamic. I think our defense is getting better every week have to fix their mistakes, have to have good eyes. Uh, my special teams uh, is, is like trying to trap a grizzly bear. They're all over the place, but they play They play hard, you know. <laughs> and that's who we are. I like who we are. I just got to bring everybody healthy and, and turn them on and keep them straight. And I think we have a chance to win all six. Um, but we're going to take it one week at a time and see, see how, where the chips lie. Bruce Barnum with us, Portland State coach. All right, so you, you you got the Montana State experience. I watched the game. I tuned in. It felt to me like it maybe the midpoint of the game. You had a little bit of momentum. They just got away from you up front in the second half. Am I reading that right? I mean, just over time, uh, their ability to run the football mattered. Yes. I mean, they had a big run. Um, we couldn't keep up. I lost our center ankle on the Tuesday, actually the Tuesday of last time we talked on my radio day. I just lost my center, and we, uh, I, from the looks of it, didn't think he's going to be able to play. We started a freshman, a hell of a uh, talented freshman at right guard. <laughs> you know, then two old linemen went down in the second half. I'm like, all right, this is getting up. Um, but they beat us up up front. You know, but um, it was it, it what you said probably yet yeah, perfect because we uh, got wore out, uh, we got banged up. You know, we had two three guys out, and I'm like, hey, who's next? You know, talking about up front. So we're trying to throw quick. You know, the run. I I like my tailbacks, but runs aren't as good. You know, when you got young guys in there against them. Monsters of the Midway. So, yeah, they they got it. But we were still close. They popped a long run uh, in the third quarter after we pinned them deep. That was, you know, a heartbreaker. That's where it kind of turned in my mind. Again, okay, we have to put it together here. We can't protect for very long, so let's go mid-range to shore. Tried to figure it out. Tried to find a way. Um, but in the end, we didn't make it. 
you are rubbernecking looking over at the Pac-12. You've played Oregon. You've seen a little bit of the Pac-12 games. Oregon's going to be playing Washington here after a bye week. This week? Or they have a bye? Next week. Yeah, got to both have a bye. Week 7, they'll play each other in Seattle. Feels like okay. a big game. What do I need to be thinking about as, as that game approaches? Um, what do you mean thinking about? Like who odds and stuff or what? No, no, no. Just kind of how you're reading the game, what you think the keys to that game will be. I don't need you to give me a winner, but if Oregon does this well, they'll be okay in that game. Uh, or have you seen enough of Michael Penix Jr. to know that he's just going to be a problem for anybody? Well, uh, he's going to Penix is going to be a problem because they they protect him. Nobody touches him. You know, they protect him. They'll match protect him. They have some dynamic guys. And when you do that, um, your receivers because uh, they have a decent line. Their their receivers have more time. You know, a, a single route becomes a double move and. You know, you can even go. I remember watching. I've only been at two NFL games in my life, but I saw Brady throwing triple moves to an all-star receiver they had because they were max protecting him. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. And Penix is accurate, and it, he's got a quick release. He's got a big arm. You know, that's what you're going to deal with with them. I mean, he that that kid's pretty damn good. Um, Oregon's a different different duck you know they their offense is different uh, built around bow which is um more of uh, you know the rpos and he's a different person uh than putting so i i think tight game you know who's gonna win and i don't know you got the key and all that and the horn or the siren going off up there but i don't think that i don't think that affects university of oregon they've been in big games you know um it's a cool stadium. I'm guessing there's a lot of people there. So oh, yeah. are there going to be enough to be a 12th man? You know, that place is open. Uh, can you be loud enough to affect the game? You know, maybe uh, get Penix a little deeper in situations. I don't know. Um, so I was you, thinking a game like that is going to come down to special teams. How do you disrupt Penix? You know, they've protected him well. How do you make him uncomfortable? Um, you know, there's two ways to do it. Do you drop eight, you know, to have too many people back there? But he gets rid of the ball so quick. I think that looking back on him, and I, I don't, I don't study him, but I would, I would think that is where you see tip balls and maybe picks because Oregon's quick in the back end, you know. And so you do that. Uh, the problem is you send three, but you know, send your best three. Uh, Oregon's got some pretty damn good threes they can send on there, so attack the edges with those two. You know, drop the nose to heck with him. Get those two DNs going on the edge, and it's hard to help, you know. So where do you flush, Penix? You know, try some of that stuff. So now he's trying to throw hot, or he's... Because I haven't seen him scramble a lot. He sits back there, and he's you know, taps her and, and launches it. And I forget that receiver's name, but that kid's – him and Penix work well together. I don't know his name, John, but he's a hell of a wide receiver. Um, uh, and he's, I think he's Penix's go-to. So, you know, and then it's – can either of them run the ball? I think Oregon's going to be able to because uh, of what they do with, with Knicks, you know. Um, they add the quarterback to it. They're not going to run Penix. Um, so – uh, it, it'll be interesting. 
if you and had have the, a bye week, do both of them have a bye week? Yeah, they both have a bye. They both have a bye. There's going to be uh, no bit. There'll be no complaining and bitching about who had the bye week. They both right, have right. a bye. Now week. you got two staffs. I didn't think about that. You got two staffs who are. I mean, you already. We've already talked about. It. They got the numbers. You know, they got enough people to. Hey, give me this tendency. What are we going to do here? Yada yada. They have two weeks to work on each other. Um, that side of it, that's going to be a hell of a chess match. Two guys matching up a bye and two outstanding teams. That's pretty cool. Shit, I might change, have to watch out. Does that change the game in your mind That versus maybe if it's a short week and they're playing on a Friday? Well, I think uh, true fans of the game, true fans that know both teams and have followed both teams, um, watch – the the first quarter I think is going to be the most interesting of that game. You're going to see the coaching. You know what I mean? How did they decide to attack? They had two weeks, you know, to kick this around. How are they going to get to Penix? What are they going to do to Penix? They're going to drop eight. They're going to send House. What are they going to do to try to disrupt him? You know, because they got time to think about it. You know, they have time to find your weakness. Okay, this guard, this guy. Um, this twist to this look, this pick blitz, you know, let's just, let's send this pick blitz they got, see if we make Penix, you know, get off his target. But, um, there's a lot of coaching going on that first quarter. Bruce Barnum, enjoy your bye week, get your boat winterized, and I'll catch up with you next week. All right. Thanks for having us, Sean. I'll talk to you. There he goes. On a bye week, Stephen, how many times should you dump him? Uh, two. And the second one I, I missed. Judah had to catch missed, my attention. You missed one. So he had three. Did he? On a bye week. I, I think he had three. I thought I he don't had know. two. Two for sure. Maybe a third. I, I thought he was a little salty for a bye week. Good performance by Bruce Barnum. I love that insight and that analysis about the chess match and the fact that you got two coaching staffs who have an army of analysts who are both going to be analyzing every tendency, trying to predict, you know, I think it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, which team has shown more. You know, I don't think Oregon had to show very much. Portland State, Hawaii, they had to show some of their playbook in the Texas Tech game. Uh, I think they showed it in Colorado. Washington showed it in, certainly in, you know, having to get in that half against Michigan State. But I think it's going to be a great game. I'm not making my official pick now, but the line right now is Washington minus three and a half, Stephen. Home teams, home favorites in the Pac-12 win. Is Washington going to win this game? Well, and it's tough because, you know, you talk about home field advantages not being traded equal. Husky Stadium is a big advantage, right? Like, you you always say, you know, Reese Stadium is like 14 points. I don't know what you would put Husky Stadium at, but it, it's got to be worth something. I think it's seven or eight points. Autzen Stadium, seven, eight, nine points. Uh, Reeser, I wouldn't say fourteen. I I think it's more like ten. Yeah. Nine or ten points. It's just, it's just a it's an advantage. It's kind of like Rice Eccles Stadium. I think there's there's a few stadiums in the conference, you know, Utah, Oregon, Washington, Oregon State, Washington State. I think those schools in particular, big home field advantage, bigger than the average. And, and and I think those home games are worth more than other teams' home games. And Washington's getting Oregon at home. Leave it here. You got the BFT.
Well, on tomorrow's show, it'll be Jonathan Smith, Oregon State football coach. He'll be joining us. Uh, on Friday, it'll be Justin Wilcox, the Cal coach. Uh, we will be talking uh, a little bit with John Wilner of the Bay Area News Group, Bay Area News Group, San Jose Mercury News on the program this week. And Stephen and I will be making our Pac-12 picks effective Thursday. Uh, do you have a lean yet, Stephen? Is it too soon? Can we can we do a little lean? Oh, we can we can lean all day, John. You want to lean on nah, this a little bit? Lean rock on it. Uh, let's just go through a few of these games that are the more compelling games. Washington State's going to UCLA. I mentioned that stat about home favorites. I was surprised that UCLA is a favorite at home against a higher-ranked Washington State team. I thought it would be a Washington State minus a point and a half, something like that. Nope. UCLA is minus four and a half right now at home against Washington State. And maybe we, that's maybe that's the Washington State home field factor there. Yeah, and we talk about home field advantages. UCLA is one of those teams that doesn't have a home field advantage. Like You don't put that into that number very much. So to me, it really says that Vegas and the sportsbooks think that UCLA is just a better team than Washington State. Um, do you agree I, with that? I kind of do. I kind of lean that way. And you know, you look at UCLA. You know, the last time we saw them was that Utah performance, and that was a terrible performance on the road. But again, at Rice Eccles Stadium, Dante Moore starting. It's a tough spot, and uh, you know, it just turned out that way. I think him being back at home, you know, getting a bye week, seeing Washington State get prepared for that. I think he comes out and he has a nice game. I right now, John, I am leaning. UCLA to win and to cover that game right now. I'm leaning the opposite direction. I think Washington State's better. I think we're starting to figure out who these teams are. And we watched Utah lose to Oregon State, and we saw Oregon State get beat pretty good by Washington State despite the score. Washington State beat them pretty good. They beat them by a couple scores. It got close late, but you know Oregon State wasn't going to win that game save for an onside kick or whatever. And so I, I, I think that Washington State's the better team. The question is, um, Dante Moore, can he be better than he was against Utah? Probably. A couple weeks later. And what will not being at home do to Washington State? And is Washington State due to Coug one? That's the other thing. that like I keep waiting for Washington State to have a bad performance. They just have it to this point of the season. And you look at Washington State. If they get this win over UCLA next week, the next week after that, they're at home to Arizona, probably win there. Then they're 6-0. Head to Eugene. Like, this is a very interesting spot, like you said. Unless they cook it, they could be 6-0 going to Eugene, and depending on what Oregon does against They're Washington. Good. I mean, it's, it's a good team, but with UCLA, I feel like their defense is actually pretty good and pretty sound. It's going to be a very interesting matchup against Cameron Ward, see if he can continue yeah. that success he's had. I'm leaning Washington State. You're leaning UCLA. How about Oregon State-Cal? This game, uh, Saturday night, 7 o'clock. Cal is getting 9.5 at home. Oh, man, I, nine and a half at home. It seems about right that number, man. I don't know. I have no. I've been so wrong at Oregon State. I feel like all year long. Right now, just initially, I think I would lean Cal plus the points. I think Oregon State wins, but I don't know. Nine and a half is a lot for a home team like Justin Wilcox, who usually can put together a good game plan. I, you know, I want to hear your thoughts on this because I really. This is a game, man. I've thought about you know all week so far, and it's like I have no idea on this. But I would lean Cal if I had to make a pick right now. Oregon State's going to have to do something in the next couple of weeks to evolve offensively. They didn't look like a great offensive team against Washington State. They didn't look like a great offensive team against San Diego State. They didn't look like an offensive team against Utah. 
they're going to have to do something to evolve. And it they the run game needs to be better. The pass game needs to be more effective. Uh, I'm waiting for an evolution moment. Oregon State always has one. You know, and I think the thing you can say about Jonathan Smith's teams, just like Mike Riley's teams, is when you catch them in about week 8, 9, or 10, they are often much better than they were in week 4 and 5. So Oregon State's needing to take a step forward. Cal, I think Cal's the perfect patsy. I think Oregon State wins the game. I just don't know about the 9.5. Given the way Oregon State has played on the offensive side of the ball, I just don't know. That's a lot of points for an Oregon State team that... You know, could be could be scoring in the twenties in this game. Yeah, I mean, couldn't it be twenty one fourteen? That seems could be pretty doable. I mean, you'd look at Utah; they had chances. They just couldn't cap. They couldn't put it in. All right, tomorrow we'll uh, we'll go a little deeper on the picks. Jonathan Smith will be with us. The bald faced truth not here for a long time. Just a good time. Have a great night, everybody.